This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. It's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, the word of the day is opportunity. Oregon's got opportunity against Colorado tomorrow at Autzen Stadium. Bo Nix has opportunity. A lot of eyeballs will be on Autzen Stadium. Coach Prime says 9 million people will be tuning in to watch that game on ABC. He might be underestimating. 9 million plus 58,000 in person plus media plus whoever's streaming it, watching it, consuming it. Oregon, Colorado. I don't know if we've seen a spectacle like this since maybe Michigan came to town. Or is this bigger? Oregon, Colorado, Autzen Stadium opportunity on Saturday. Bo Nix, of course, in the Heisman conversation. And you can buy all the billboards that you want. You can do all of the marketing. You can take out a full-page ad in the New York Times. But nothing would be better for the bodacious campaign than Bo Nix showing up big at Autzen Stadium against Colorado, Coach Prime, with 9 million people watching on television. You talk about signature moments. This is a signature stage for Bo Nix on Saturday. It's a big stage for Dan Lanning and the Ducks. We talked to Lanning on yesterday's show, and I got to be honest, I walked away from the conversation wondering if Oregon will feel pressure on Saturday. Is there really any pressure on Oregon? Sports psychologists will tell you that pressure is manufactured internally, that it's not an external thing. And if Oregon is sitting around going, gosh, this stage is big. Gosh, this is a big game. Gosh, we're a 21-point favorite. Gosh, we've got to go out and we've got to send a message to America uh, with this uh, with this game. And, and you start to look at the result versus the actual process of lining up and playing 70 plays on offense or 70 plays on defense and just making more plays than Colorado. You can sure, uh, you better believe that this thing can, can, can create pressure. What will Autzen Stadium be worth? Dan Landing on yesterday's show made a big statement about the atmosphere at Autzen Stadium. I think the home field advantages uh, across the Pac-12 conference are really interesting to study. Oregon 29-2 and in its last 31 games at Autzen Stadium. You have, uh, you've got uh, you know, a win streak of 17 games in Utah at Rice-Eccles Stadium. You have Oregon State, which has been virtually unbeatable. I mean, USC got them there last year in a 17-14 game. But other than that, you know, two straight seasons, that is the only blemish at Research Stadium for Oregon State. These home fields matter. 
They matter more than three points. They matter uh, in intangible ways and intangible ways as well because you you look at the difference, the point differential with these teams when they play home games versus away games, and it's a swing of like seven, eight, nine points if you were being real about it. I think Autzen Stadium's worth that. Will Oregon show up to play? Will they show up focused? Will they outclass Colorado? Will they let the air out of the tires? I want your phone calls off the top of the show today, 503-417-7575. I'm going to give you three things that I think you got to look for in this Oregon-Colorado game. I'm going to give you three things that you've got to look for in the Washington State-Oregon State game. And I want to hear from you as well, what you expect to see at Autzen Stadium, what you think will happen at Autzen Stadium. Uh, big run-up to this game, a lot of national media. I had Jerry Brewer, the sports columnist at the Washington Post, reach out to me, say, hey, can I catch a ride to the game with you? He wants to. He doesn't want to fight all the traffic, doesn't know what's going on around the stadium. I told Brewer he's welcome to jump in the car with me. I'll give him a ride, make sure that he gets into Autzen Stadium. But I want to hear from you what your expectations are as uh, America turns the spotlight, the hype train, to Autzen Stadium as Colorado comes in. 503-417-7575. Get on record or forever hold your peace. Uh, let's start with the three things that I think are the most important things to look for in this Oregon-Colorado game. Look, uh, I understand 9 million people watching the game. I understand the big stage. I understand all the hype and the hoopla. And I think this is a good thing. Like, don't look at the energy and the, uh, and the attention that Coach Prime's performance in Colorado has has brought to Autzen Stadium as a negative. Like, Oregon it, it spends a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of energy trying to get eyeballs on its product, on its stadium, on its uniforms, on its performance. There's been a massive investment in football. But what Colorado is bringing to Oregon on Saturday is a golden opportunity to have, hey, the attention of America, the focus on you, linear television, ABC audience. And so, you know, the first thing I want to look for is, you know, does Oregon walk into this game a little wide-eyed? Meaning, like, you hear the reference in the theater where people will say that the stage was too big for the play. I'm wondering with Bo Nix, with this Oregon team, you know, if they are going to play for a spot in Las Vegas, if they are going to be a team that could could sniff around a college football playoff berth. This will not be the kind of stage that phases them. So keep an eye for that deer-in-the-headlights look from Oregon. If you don't see it early, you're not going to see it. But it's something I'm going to be looking for. Are, do they look a little, uh, little shell-shocked? Do they look nervous? Do they look wide-eyed as they line up against Colorado? Keep an eye on that because this Colorado team has had three consecutive weeks where it's just been under the spotlight and under the spotlight and under a double overtime spotlight. And so I don't think Colorado is going to look around at Autzen Stadium with wide eyes and go, gosh, we're on the big stage. Gosh, this is Power 5 uh, play. Oh, oh gosh, it's, it's Pac-12 conference play. I don't think you're going to see that at all from Colorado. But keep an eye on it for Oregon. Uh, I don't think Oregon will be wide-eyed, but it's something I'm going to be looking for. Second thing is... Look, I think Oregon's got the better players, right? I think Oregon's got the better players on offense, the better players on defense. And one thing that Oregon has done really well to this point is it has taken care of the ball. Keep an eye on the turnovers in this game. If Oregon doesn't turn the ball over, Oregon's going to be just fine. And we'll talk to Jesse Palmer, the ABC broadcaster and former NFL quarterback, coming up here in a few minutes about it. But if Oregon does not turn the ball over, if you don't see Bo Nix throwing interceptions, if you don't see Bucky Irving fumbling, this is a good sign, obviously, for Oregon. But, you know, I, I always, you know, look at the teams that are coming in as heavy underdogs. And I say, gosh, they're going to need 
They're going to need a trick play. They're going to need an onside kick. They're going to need a couple of turnovers. Oregon doesn't need any of that stuff to win this game. What Oregon needs to do is just take care of the football. Third thing I'm looking for from Oregon. I don't want to see Oregon get away from who it is. And what I mean by that is you think about the strengths of the Oregon Ducks. It is the run game with Bucky Irving. It is Bo Nix throwing the ball and hurting you. Oregon doesn't have to do something or anything outside of what it normally is, outside of its persona, so to speak, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Oregon just needs to be Oregon. Oregon needs to worry about Oregon. And I like all week long that Dan Landing and the Ducks have not made this about talking about Colorado or trying to uh, poke the bear, so to speak, with Colorado. It has been very subdued, and I find it very interesting that Coach Prime and Colorado haven't made a big deal about, hey, it's about respect, they have disrespected us, it's personal now. I haven't heard a lot of that this week from the Colorado contingent. Maybe that that uh, narrative has just sort of lost steam. Or maybe Oregon just hasn't given Colorado a lot to talk about this week, and that might not be a bad thing. Keep an eye on those three things as you look at the game. You know, Especially uh, Oregon's focus, the stage, the stadium, are their eyes you know, wide open? Are they looking a little jittery and nervous early? They shouldn't be. I think they're the better team. And do they turn the ball over? If they don't do those things, I think the Oregon Ducks are fine. I think they're going to win this game going away. Let's take some phone calls. I want to go out to the phone lines. I want to hear from you. I want you to tell me what you see and what you think. Let's go right out to Matt, who is in Fairview. Matt in Fairview, start us off. Go ahead, buddy. Hey, John. I Honestly, because it's at Austin Stadium, I think the Ducks, um, they're going to win by at least two scores. And that's, I think, if they have a, have a uh, bad game. Um, and, I, and the reason that I say that is because I honestly think this is a very resilient team. I think you saw that last year against Washington State. I think you saw that against Texas Tech. And they, they, they I mean, they pants Hawaii the, the other week. And honestly, I think the coaching staff is doing a lot of really awesome stuff with their players, especially their young players, getting them different looks and different things like that. Um, but I think Oregon is going to live up to the hype, and they're going to be able to uh, get a win. And I think that that um, comes, you know, to the leadership of Bo Nix um, and a lot of the guys who have been on big stages before. As long yeah. as they're able to execute, and like you said, John, take care of the ball, I don't think Oregon is going to have an issue with Colorado. Um, but if they don't take care of the ball, if they have stupid penalties, then, you know, I could see them struggling in this game. Yeah, I think I think Colorado needs two-plus turnovers to be in this game. And I, I'm picking Oregon to win. I'm picking Oregon to cover the 21 points. 21 points is a massive amount of points. So I don't feel great about that pick. But I like Oregon because I think they're more talented. They're playing uh, more at full strength. No Travis Hunter for Colorado. I think uh, Travis Hunter against Troy Franklin would have been a fantastic matchup. I'm sad that we don't get to see that. Uh, I wish Colorado were at, at full strength, but I just think Oregon's the better team playing at home. And what do good teams in the Pac-12 who are playing at home do? Good teams, heavy favorites, cover the spread and win the game. That's what happens. But I want to hear from you. What do you think's going to happen? Maurice, Maurice, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John, I got to agree with you, man. Um, I'm a big-time Ducks fan, have been for a long time since the Mike Bellotti and, uh, and, and Harrington days. And uh, I think the Ducks are going to win this game. And I hate to say this, I've been getting a lot of, uh, a lot of smack from my friends, but I'm rooting for Colorado. You know, I've, I've, 
it's too exciting. I love it. I love Prime. I was a big time Deion fan when I was a kid. I'm rooting for Colorado. If I was a betting man, I would bet Oregon's going to win this. And I'm not even satisfied with this Oregon team. I don't really, I'm not super excited about Oregon. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in them, but I think that as far as winning a championship, but I think they'll win this game. But I'm really rooting for Colorado, honestly. Yeah. It's really interesting. I saw a uh, ESPN uh, social media person put out a tweet that, that said that, uh, you know, the social media engagements for ESPN were up 25%, uh, and, uh, and that a full 25% it really just reflected Colorado. In uh, the social media traffic that Colorado was generating, not just for Colorado football, but for ESPN's social media accounts, all the engagement. And a lot of a lot of people would go, okay, yeah, that just means that there's a lot, you know, is ESPN tweeting a lot about Colorado? Yeah, you know, I think Colorado's getting a lot of mentions and a lot of uh, getting talked about quite a bit. But I just find it interesting that, you know, we know that the broadcast is going to take place on Saturday and that the, the ABC broadcast crew is going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about Colorado, what a good story Colorado is, how much attention Coach Prime has brought to the product. But this is the moment of truth for Colorado. This is an interesting time for Colorado. Like, I really do think that the pressure and the focus is on Colorado on Saturday in that you beat a TCU team that, that you know, most people think is okay but not great. You beat a Nebraska team that doesn't have a quarterback. And then you took double overtime to beat Colorado State, which, you know, had a 50-burger put on it by Washington State. And so I think a lot of people are stepping back going, huh, how good are they? And I do think this is the week where where Colorado, with a straight face, can say, "Hey, we're not getting the, we're still not getting the respect. We're three and zero, and still not getting respect because they're a twenty one point underdog, despite the three and zero record and the ranked start." I think the best thing for college football would be for this game to be close, for Colorado to be in it, for eyeballs in the fourth quarter to be on this ABC broadcast. But I frankly don't see it. I think Oregon's going to win this game. I think it's going to win it comfortably. I'm uh, you know, picking Oregon to cover the 21-point spread, and I think there's a potential here that this is a springboard moment for Bo Nix and his Heisman campaign. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Mark is in Portland. Mark, welcome to the conversation. Oh, my God. You guys are the hype train of this game. It's the 21-point <laughs> spread. <laughs> I mean, if I was uh, forced to choose one game, if, you know, if I got a choice to go to one game at Oxford this year, it would be USC and then Oregon yes. State. And then the other game that I I would be fearful of and really think that that's Oregon's test. If they lose this game, then we were sold the bill of goods. They're they're yeah. really not that good. Um, going to Washington, I said that early that that's going to be their first. If they can get through Texas Tech, which is a tough place to play, but you hit on it, John. They just they just barely pulled out a double overtime win over Colorado State, who got hammered by Washington State. And I I think I think. Uh, you know, Oregon's going to win this game, but the point spread's too big for me. I'm saying like yeah, 45 to 27. But what would the spread be if USC came to Oregon? Yeah, I, I, for you guys. I think you raise a I think you raise a great point because when you line up Oregon's most difficult games this season, you say it's USC, it's Oregon State in the Civil War, it's the game at Utah, it's the game at Washington. You know, it'd be a while before you got to Colorado being Oregon's most difficult opponent. Like, how far down the list is that? And yet, you're going to have 8 or 9 million people who tune in on Saturday to see what happens to this Oregon-Colorado game. It's why I say it is the greatest opportunity 
that Oregon has had in some time to sort of showcase who it is, what it's about, how talented the team is, how great the program is. This could be a three-hour infomercial for Dan Landing and Oregon football, provided by and sponsored by Colorado Football and Coach Prime. I mean, that's the feel that this game has to me. And I think if Oregon does the right, if Oregon takes care of the ball, if Oregon doesn't arrive with wide eyes looking at the stage going, are, are we? Uh, is the play big enough for the stage? Like, if they don't say that, and then they show up and they just play every play, play to play, Oregon's the better team. Oregon's got more depth. Oregon's got more talent. Oregon's got the home field. This should be that three-hour infomercial that I talked about. Let's go to Gary in Tualatin. Gary, what do you think's going to happen on Saturday at hey, Austin Stadium? Yeah, John, go Ducks. Uh, so does the winner of the Cougs and Beavs go to the Rose Bowl? No, it doesn't. You there? But yeah, I'm here. I, I heard Hello? you. That was your joke. You're telling dad Hello? jokes now. All right. Hello, Gary. Gary's not there. I'll put you on hold. Did we lose Gary? Yeah, we lost Gary. All right. Did Gary t- was Gary telling a dad joke, Stephen? I thought so. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that was a that's a pack two joke. Yeah, it's a pack two joke. That's for another segment that we're doing later. Um, you know, and, and yes, you know, here's the other thing. Like, if anybody should feel disrespected right now, shouldn't it be Washington State and Oregon State? Like, they've got this fantastic game on the Palouse, packed two teams. Like, if you're looking around, you know, looking for chips on shoulders this weekend, the biggest chips in the Pac-12 conference belong on the shoulders of Washington State and Oregon State. They have been disrespected. They have been left behind. They have been left out. They have uh, been ignored this week as Colorado and Oregon has stolen the spotlight. Everybody else is looking at Utah and UCLA as that other game. And, oh, by the way, here are two ranked teams for the first time in 108 years playing each other in the Washington State-Oregon State game with huge implications. Whoever wins that game is going to be one step closer from disrupting the party that is supposed to happen in Las Vegas that doesn't include the Pac-2 teams and whoever loses that game is going to be left uh, feeling like they've got to scramble and punch their way in from the outside in it is a fantastic football game that's going to happen in Pullman and I think you know I'm excited to see that game as I am to see kind of the hype and the hoopla around Oregon because I kind of wonder if about the third quarter of the Oregon game if the focus will turn from Oh, Colorado's in the stadium. What is this about? Coach Prime, Shador Sanders. And it will pivot suddenly to, hey, what's going on with the Utah-UCLA game? And oh, by the way, in the aftermath of that at 4 o'clock on Fox, you've got Washington State and Oregon State playing uh, each other in the Pac-2 championship game. First time it's ever been held. I think it's a remarkable spectacle. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jesse Palmer. Who's Jesse Palmer? Well, he played college football at Florida. Played in the NFL with the New York Giants and the San Francisco 49ers. Then he went on The Bachelor. Remember him on The Bachelor? Then he became host of The Bachelor. And Jesse Palmer is on the broadcast on Saturday. Part of the ABC team tomorrow that will be calling the game. Uh, we're going to catch up with him. I want to know what those meetings have been like. What the preparation entails. Has he talked to Coach Prime? What is what is that experience like as a broadcaster as you're preparing for a game and you're prepping to call the Colorado-Oregon game, you got Coach Prime for an interview. Uh, I'll get Jesse Palmer's assessment of what we should expect uh, at Autzen Stadium tomorrow. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. 
Big ABC broadcast tomorrow as the Ducks are hosting Colorado. 12.30 on ABC, Joe Tessitore, Katie George, and the great Jesse Palmer will be on the broadcast. Uh, Jesse joining us now. How big is this game in your world as you guys uh, do your pre-event meetings and stuff? Uh, how big does this feel? Well, it feels massive, obviously, for a lot of different reasons. Um, it's two undefeated teams, two ranked opponents. It's a big tilt in the Pac-12 conference with two Heisman hopefuls at quarterback. But I think, you know, it's it's Coach Prime, really, right? I mean, that's that's what everybody's tuning in for. We're talking about a guy that just transcends sports and. The entire world seems to descend on whatever he does, uh, wherever they're playing early this year. And certainly the toughest challenge for Colorado up to this point of the season. But I think everybody is tuning into this, curious to see just how good is this Colorado team. And even though they've started 3-0, and you know, are they for real? Just how good could this team be this year? You've been around sports a long time as a player in, in college at a high level in the NFL. You've seen athletes and teams put a chip on their shoulder and, and say, hey, we're disrespected or nobody believes in us. Uh, can you continue that three, four, five, six, seven? Can you continue that through a whole season or do you run out of emotional energy at some point? I think most times you run out of emotion. I think it's a great point you make. I think that's one of the biggest questions heading into this game, too, because there are a lot of things to be really impressed about with respect to the job Coach Prime has done at Colorado. I think one of those has been his motivation. And every single week, I think, this year, they've been able to find something to sort of lean on. Week one, no one thought they could compete against the team that played the national championship game last year in TCU, and they win that game on the road. And then against Nebraska and against Colorado State, there were comments and quotes made by the opposing coaches that certainly Colorado used as fuel. Um, and he'll do that again this week, no doubt, right? We're going on the road. We're playing at Austin Stadium. We're a 21-point underdog or whatever we are right now. And arguably our most our, our most dynamic player in Travis Hunter, he's not on the field, so no one's going to give us a chance. But I think you do have to question just, just how much this team has left in the tank emotionally, considering everything they've dealt with through the offseason, through the first three weeks. And then that game against Colorado State was such a physical game. It was so emotionally draining, and now you're going to Autzen Stadium, one of the most hostile environments in all of college football. There's going to be a massive audience watching. And again, your most dynamic player is not on the field, so can they keep this up? That's a massive question. Shador Sanders has been terrific. Uh, he's just been fantastic. And I want to know what you see. As a, as a guy who played QB in the NFL, what do you see in Shador? Yeah, I've been unbelievably impressed. Um, the transition he's made physically, I think he has all the tools. The thing that really impresses me the most about Shadur on film, he's always in such a good position to throw the football. Fundamentally, he's about as good as anybody you're going to see in the country. Always has a good base underneath him. He gets his feet in the right spot. He keeps his shoulders level. I think that's why he's so accurate, throwing at all three levels of the field. Like, it's hard in routes against air to complete 79% of your throws. But that's what he's doing right now. Um, also, mentally, um, remember, he's playing in a new system with offensive coordinator Sean Lewis. There are a lot of quarterbacks around the country that entered the portal, that had a lot of success at other schools, but aren't having the success Shador Sanders is having right now. Um, Shador's putting up Heisman Trophy numbers, and by the way, He's not playing behind a very good offensive line. There's not a lot of first-round picks out there playing in front of him. And still, 
when it matters most on third down and in the fourth quarter, I think Shador is the best quarterback in the country. Two fourth quarter comebacks in three games already. I mean, you can see why he's climbing up draft boards, and um, he is the real deal. There is no doubt about that. What does Oregon need to watch out for here, Jesse? I mean, I mean they're encountering the hype train, a lot of momentum, and really an opponent that, that is really starting to believe in itself. Yeah, I think that's it. It's just the belief and it's the confidence. And for Oregon, I think that's going to be a massive challenge early in this game is to try and squash that. You want the crowd at home, again, at Austin Stadium to sort of take this thing over. Um, but Colorado's a team that, you know, with, with those weapons on offense, honestly, even without Travis Hunter on the field, guys like Jimmy Horn Jr. and Xavier Weaver and Dylan Edwards, those guys scare you. The one thing that I think Colorado has is they've got these guys in space that if, if you miss a tackle, it could be a house call. And that's one thing about Oregon's defense this year. They have not been a very good tackling unit on that side of the field, and they can give up explosive plays. So I think it's going to be really important, at least for Colorado coming into this game, easily the most hostile environment they've seen this year. And this is easily the most hostile environment that their players have ever played in they're going to have to start fast. They're going to have to make good things happen early so that they can continue to believe that they can win. How different does college football look for you all these years later as you look back and you see a coach come in, take over a 1-11 team, 54 players gone, transfer portal turnover, and here they are drawing 9 million people for a, for a late-night Saturday game? That's wild. And, you know, we're all sort of going along for the ride right now. I mean, it's, it's, it truly is unique in, in so many ways. It, it feels really unprecedented for me in a lot of ways because of the phenomenon. We talked about how it kind of transcends everything, and that, that has a lot to do with Coach Prime's accomplishments on the field, but it's also his personality and his magnetism. He's been an unbelievable, not just CEO of this team, a chief marketing officer. I mean, his branding and any metric you use, whether it's so, – uh, ticket sales or whether it's eyeballs watching on television or whether it's social media impressions. I mean, this thing is off the chart. The entire, it feels like not just college football, but the entire sports world has sort of descended upon Colorado and Boulder and sort of what's happening there. And I think the fact that he's doing things that we just don't see done and we want to continue to see if it can work. We've talked about the transfer portal. How many head coaches do you know? after a half of the football season, are openly politicking for their players to win Heisman trophies. I mean, he just does things that are, that are so outside the box. It's fascinating. Um, and I think that's why it just feels very, very different versus all the things that I've seen in 17 years now at ESPN. Now, as a broadcast crew, you guys will, will have an interview with the coaching staff during most weeks. How different was this Colorado experience than maybe an average week where you're getting a Chip Kelly or you're getting a... Nick Saban uh, as part of that interview? You know, I mean, for us, we're, we're trying to approach this as, as just another game, but no doubt, I mean, with all the attention surrounding Colorado right now, uh, we're lucky <laughs> We're lucky we got some time <laughs> uh, with the coaching staff because, man, he's busy. I, I don't know when Coach Prime sleeps, um, but beyond all the things he's doing on the field, I mean, that guy does, he does a lot off the field as well 
to manage this football team and then manage all of the media and all of the requests and everything else that's coming in. It, I, I know it's a game between two 3-0 and teams, and it's very early here in the first third of the season, and it, and it is a big Pac-12 game, but, man, you just know this game feels so much bigger than that, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun to, to prepare for and get ready for. Jesse Palmer with us. Uh, yeah, you're one to talk about, Coach Prime. All right, you're on The Bachelor. you got a baby coming. You've got, you know, you're calling a football game. What is, what's it been like for you? Um, I, I'm not sleeping also. <laughs> I know I know how that feels, man. It's like a quarterback mentality, right? You just you got to play the next play. And one day it's bachelor, and the next day it's a football game, and then the next day you're visiting the hospital where your wife's going to give birth, and you're just trying to compartmentalize everything I can do. I'm just, dude, I'm just trying to get a first down at this point <laughs> in my personal life. I'm trying to throw completions and just get a first down. That's all I can do right now. All right, so give me an idea. Um, girl, right? Girl, You're going to be a girl dad. Yeah, I'm going to be a girl dad. All right, so I have three daughters. And i got to tell you, it's the best thing ever, man. I, I specialize. I don't I don't know. People, some people, they do boy, girl. I just do girls. But uh, you're going to love it, man. It's going to be the best thing and the hardest thing you've ever done and the most rewarding thing you've ever done. I'm sure people have told you that. I'm going to keep your number so I can get more advice, but I appreciate it, man. I'm going to need all of it I can get. I'm so excited for this and just to try to figure this thing out. Give me an idea because I've got a lot of listeners who watch The Bachelor. Um, what, how has that experience been like for you? I, I imagine you never thought, hey, I'll go on The Bachelor. I'll end up as host of The Bachelor. And, oh, by the way, they all want to know who's going to win the Golden Bachelor. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I told you uh, back when I was The Bachelor that I knew all this was going to happen. I had no idea that TV was going to be in my future. I, I just thought it sounded like a really fun experience, and I'd given a shot. And here we are years and years later, and it's been a full-circle moment. So it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the last couple of years being being back on with a part of this franchise. And you're right, we've kind of got a new – a new thing happening this fall with the Golden Bachelor. It's premiering next week. Gary is just an absolute rock star. The cast of women are absolutely incredible. So, you know, we're all excited to kind of go on this journey with him and, and find out what happens. But uh, it's exciting times right now over here. It completely polar opposite experiences in my personal life between that and college football. But, man, my heart is full. I've, I'm doing everything I love to do. So I'm very lucky. It shows range, and I think that's important. Uh, you know, back to football, Bo Nix. You've seen a little bit of him. What do you think of Bo Nix? Uh, big fan. I mean, he's in his fifth year. No one's, no one's started more games than him. I mean, he's got 50 starts in college football, and that to me really shows up on film. He's playing so fast right now. Gets dropped back quickly. Ball comes out quickly. Reads coverages quickly. He gets it to his checkdowns really, really early, and that's part of why – I think he's so efficient, and this offense right now is so efficient through three games. They're scoring 58 points a game. Um, obviously, you know, he hasn't played the 85 Chicago Bears yet, um, and it's going to be really important, obviously, in this one that Colorado is able to generate a bit of a pass rush and try to upset his rhythm because if you give Bo Nix a lot of time, it's, it's scary. He's got a lot of weapons out there, and that's another place to sort of look, too. Troy Franklin at receiver, that's an alpha wide receiver on the perimeter, and if Travis Hunter were playing in this game, that's the guy that they would shadow him with and match up with and probably feel really good about but without Travis Hunter now how does that sort of affect the secondary for Colorado and what they're going to do it's a weird thing to say because I know how big the stakes are for Colorado and all the eyeballs and the peripheral sports fans uh, tuning in to watch it that don't normally watch college football that you know are, are like hey I got to check this game out but 
this game feels huge for Oregon in my eyes. It feels like a big opportunity. Like Oregon's always wanted the eyeballs. That's what you know they were built on with the marketing and the branding and the uniforms. And it, it's coming to town in in the form of Colorado. I think they have a big opportunity here. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a, an opportunity also, I think, to answer some questions. Listen, it's it's almost everybody's last last year in the Pac-12, and they're trying to go out with a bang, and obviously Oregon getting set to move onto the Big Ten Conference. I mean, they want to win a conference championship and sort of leave on that note. They feel like they have a lot of talent, um, and they're going to have a lot of eyeballs this year just based on who they're playing and the different quarterbacks they're playing. That conference is absolutely loaded with good ones right now and Heisman Trophy candidates, but this is, um, you're right, kind of like Colorado now sort of feels like Oregon back circa, I don't know, like 2001, two kind of, yeah. and still not had it kind of cranking with uniforms, and now there's Heisman Trophy billboards, and Bo Nix is in, is in Times Square now, and he's out in Dallas, he's soon going to be in L.A. This is uh, this is kind of two programs sort of trending in that direction, but no doubt, this is, this is an opportunity, I think, also for Oregon to make a statement, to, to not just you know, beat Colorado and beat beat a talented team, but but they can make a statement, sort of put everybody on alert. Here, last question. You know, I'm looking at the coordinator matchup. And Sean Lewis, Charles Kelly on the Colorado side, fantastic, experienced. Those guys know what they're doing. It, on Oregon side, less experience with Will Stein, young guy, some fresh ideas on offense, and you've got Tosh Lapoy on defense. That you know, last year I, I it was kind of a mixed grade for me. How important is that matchup? Can can the X's and O's overcome the Jimmy and, and the Joes? Uh, it always plays a, a big factor, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't just put an age to anything. I mean, Will Stein is someone who had a lot of a lot of success at UTSA, and really, from Dan Lanning's standpoint, I thought that was a great hire because schematically, what he does is pretty similar to what Kenny Dillingham was doing last year. There's a lot of eye candy, a lot of misdirection, and he's calling he's calling games right now, and he's calling all the right plays. Him and Bo Nix seem to be in a really, really good rhythm. And, of course, you know, when you're talking defense with Oregon, you talk about coordinators and, and the staff, you, you can't leave out Dan Lanning, the head coach, who, of course, was, was the architect and the mastermind of maybe the greatest defense in college football history a couple years ago at Georgia in 2021. So, I mean, these are obviously still works in progress. It's very early, man, and that, that's kind of what you and I are talking about. I mean, I know they've only played three games, but there's still so many questions for both of these teams, and I think that's why this game really is going to prove to be a litmus test and really tell us a lot about both Colorado and Oregon. Yeah, I appreciate you making time. For people who want to tune in, ABC 1230, that's that's where the show's going to be. Jesse Palmer, Joe Tessitore, Katie George on the call. Jesse, thank you, man. Enjoy your time. I'll say hi to you in the press box. You got it, man. Thanks so much. Look forward to it. Oregon, Colorado. Who you got? I'm on record. I want you to tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. My picks went out yesterday at johnconzano.com, as they do every Thursday. Oregon 49, Colorado 24. That's my pick. Buffaloes have great story, but I'm leaning on Oregon's depth. I'm leaning on uh, Oregon's ability to score on that Colorado defense. Uh, 21 points is a lot of points, but I'll take the Ducks at home. How about you? Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. So I reached out to, to uh, Brian Howell, who covers the Colorado uh, Buffaloes. He, he happens to be uh, on the Oregon coast today. 
And uh, Stephen, I've asked him to call the back line because he wasn't a scheduled guest on the show, but I noticed on social media that he was out along the Oregon coast. I think he was in Newport. He got on a uh, uh, got on a fishing boat, and uh, he is uh, he is sort of meandering around the Oregon coast. And I wanted to catch up with him just to get a taste of flavor for what Colorado is doing and and thinking he's trying to call in right now Stephen I'm gonna send you his number and uh, he's having some trouble uh, dialing the line for some reason but I'm gonna send you his number in the uh, we can dial him up right away but I, I think it's really interesting to kind of to try to uh, you know ultimately get um, somebody on the show who has been kind of in the storm of things and uh, and uh, it has seen the changes and by the way Brian was covering this team, you know, when nobody cared about the team. I saw a picture that he had, that he had uh, tweeted out, um, that uh, you know was was showing the media contingent that covered Colorado's season opener a year ago, and then showing the contingent that now was covering Colorado football. So we'll talk to Brian about that here in just a minute. Uh, I'll have all the coverage of tomorrow's games at johnconzano.com. If you're not subscribed, grab a free subscription, grab a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. There are going to be photo galleries from the Oregon State-Washington State game in Pullman, photo gallery from Autzen Stadium of Coach Prime, behind-the-scenes look at Colorado and everything that is going on uh, with their program and all the excitement that has happened uh, with Colorado um, and then uh, also my column off the games, and, and I'll, have, uh, I'll have an opportunity to write about Oregon and Colorado. I will file something on Washington State and Oregon State, and I will be all over it, uh, and uh, we will, we will uh, talk in and around it. So, um, uh, Stephen, uh, you know, I, I got to host the show, so you guys, you know, try to figure that out and get Brian on the show. Um, I, uh, I, can't, uh, I can't do more than host the show. So, uh, in the end, uh, Brian's trying to call in. He says that he's uh, something might be wrong with our phone system, uh, and uh, you're trying to call him. So, uh, I, in the meantime, I'm just going to talk about what my experience was like when I got on the beat covering a Jerry Tarkanian team. It's not the same as Coach Prime, but it still was still was a lot of attention. It was 60 minutes showing up to interview Tark. It was, uh, you know, I had the uh, beat reporter job when I was covering Bob Knight in Indiana basketball as well. So I, uh, I uh, you know, look back at those experiences and think about how crazy it was, how circus-like it was to kind of be around the national media who were swooping in to get the story and then be around the beat reporters who have, uh, you know, the responsibility of getting to it uh, and covering teams, uh, you know, when nobody's looking. And then suddenly, here comes the spotlight of the national media and 9 million people t- tuning in to watch a Saturday night football game. Brian Howell is the beat reporter for the Boulder Daily Camera. He was on the beat before Coach Prime got there. Hell, he'll probably be there after Coach Prime leaves someday. But he has been there, and he's on the Oregon coast now. Brian, thanks for m- making time. You bet. Thanks for having me. Okay, okay. Give me an idea. Just, you know, we won't keep you long. I know you're busy. Uh, but give me an idea of what it's been like, what a whirlwind it's been like, uh, how much fun it's been like, how much work it's been, uh, having sort of all the attention and the spotlight on this program. 
Well, I always tell people, I don't know if fun is the right word to describe what's going on this year, but it's certainly interesting and, uh, and very different. Um, and it's not bad, but um, it, it's the job is certainly harder, you know, covering uh, this program. And, you know, it's a lot more eyeballs, you know, and obviously there's a lot more media there, a lot more company I have in press conferences. So it's been unique and interesting for sure. Give me an idea, you know, let's you go back like a year ago, Carl Durrell's opener last year versus maybe when you walked into that TCU press box on week one. Yeah, well, I would say obviously going into every year there's always optimism. and um, So even last year there was kind of this thought that, hey, we can be a good good football team. Um, you know, and even at halftime at TCU, you know, it was a close ball game. Uh, but by about week five of last year, you know, it was five games in the season, then he got fired. And uh, the second half of last year was just miserable covering this football team. And, um, you know, I, I always tell this story that the, the last road game CU played last year was at Washington. And the post-game press conference, post-game press conference was me, literally me only, talking to uh, interim head coach Mike Stanford and uh, you know, one player, Montana Lamonius Craig, who's now at Arizona. And then you go to TCU, and there was like 25 media that traveled out from Colorado to cover that game. So that's what's been different, um, you know, just in nine months from the last game last year to the first game this year. Give us an idea of how what this game means to Colorado, this Oregon game, because uh, I, I kind of feel like they're playing with house money at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that if they win it, it's massive, and it sends a big-time message to the entire conference and the nation that, wow, Colorado might actually be a contender here. If you lose it, I think that people are expecting that, and I think you can still come off of a loss here at Eugene and say, that's fine. You know, we're still making progress. You know, we got work to do, and that was the top ten team in the country. So, I think it's kind of a a, a no lose situation for Colorado. The only the only thing I could see that could be a, a big negative for them is if they get blown out. But I don't see that happening. Brian, give us an idea of what you think Colorado will try to do to Oregon, and and will they do anything differently than they've done in the first three weeks, or is it kind of Colorado knows who it is and knows what it wants to do? Well, Colorado has been what it's been through three games, but that's not what they really want to be, I think, if that makes sense. There, there's certainly things that they haven't done yet that they need to get done, and one of them is run the football, and they would like to get better at running the football. Uh, you know, They certainly know how to throw the ball. Shadour Sanders is fantastic, and they're going to try to do that. They've also got to get better on defense, and they've been very opportunistic. Uh, they lead the country in uh, takeaways, but they're also one of the worst teams as far as giving up points and yards, so... They need to improve those things, stop the run, and probably run the ball better. Those two are those are probably the two main things right there. Shadur Sanders has been fantastic, and you know I think not just the fact that he showed some poise in some late games, but he has been consistently good. It is, you know, the talk of Heisman, the talk of an NFL career. I mean. I think he has project he has catapulted himself into the conversation as you know where does he rank among the top two or three Pac-12 quarterbacks? How much more ceiling? How much more growth does Shador have? I think he's got a good amount, and and you're right. I mean, I, I think coming into the season, I thought you know you can't really put him among those top four or five yet, but I think now you can, and I, I certainly think there's growth. You know, he um, is not a hundred percent polished. I think he's got a you know, probably get a little bit bigger um, as far as, like, strength and muscle, uh, probably to be, to be at that NFL level and to be that, that NFL-ready quarterback. 
but certainly he's got a ton of the tools that you want in a quarterback. Now, you're on the Oregon coast. Give us an idea of what you've done in the last 24 hours. You doing a little bit of sightseeing? Yeah, actually, my wife came with me, and so uh, we've been on the coast and uh, did a, uh, a fishing adventure out on the uh, the ocean today and caught some some uh, rockfish and some crabs, so that was kind of fun. Give us an idea. Like, where, where were you? Out on a boat, or, you know, is it a bunch of people, or do you get, like, you know, is it a small uh, fishing expedition? Yeah, it's one of the charters out of Newport. Uh, so we're in Newport right now, and uh, one of those charters that was like you know twenty people or so on the boat, and so you just kind of pay, and they you know they take you out there, find some fish, and uh, cast out there and try to catch some fish. And so we were able to catch some uh, catch a few, which which was nice. So that was good. Yeah, in uh, no seasickness out on the boat. My I try to get my wife to do that, and she's like, nope. She had a bad <laughs> she had a bad experience one time <laughs> in Mexico on a fishing boat. Never again. Yeah, we were able to stay healthy, so that was good. All right. All right I'm going to let you go. You go spend time with your family. I will see you in the press box, Brian. Uh, a lot of fun uh, fun reading you on this uh, on this story, and I think it's just starting, obviously. Yeah, it's just starting. I can't believe that uh, there's at least nine more weeks of this and maybe a bowl game. So uh, this thing does not look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. All right. There's Brian Howell with the Boulder Daily Camera. Good stuff from the Oregon coach. Good job getting him. I know that wasn't easy with the reception over there, but uh, good hustle behind the scenes there. He just texted me, and he's like, hey, do you want me to pop on? And I was like, yeah. Uh, you know, Here's the thing, though. I, I disagree with Brian a little bit about it being a no-lose situation for Colorado. And, uh, granted, I think they're playing with house money, but I think there's a propensity here to believe that what happened in the first three weeks will just continue to con- happen and happen and happen, and that's just not going to happen. That, that's not how a season goes. If Colorado's going to have a great year, there are going to be setbacks at some point, um, and there are going to be, um, I think, bigger challenges than they had in the first three weeks. And, and, in fact, I think here comes a big hurdle here in week four against Oregon and then a bigger hurdle next week in week five against USC. Like I do, I think I think USC's offense is, uh, you know, they've already scored fifty-five plus points twice this season. They're going to do it again this week against Arizona State, and then they're going to get a Colorado defense next week that that hasn't stopped anybody. I do think there's a a uh, a chance here for Colorado to lose, and not just lose on the field, but lose momentum, have the air let out of its tires if it gets blown out at Autzen Stadium, as uh, as he pointed out, but. Um, I think it, there's no denying that it's been a great story to this point. I think this week was largely spent with a lot of people on Monday, Tuesday, sort of giving accolades to Colorado. But I think reality is starting to set in now, and they're going to have to show up at Autzen Stadium and, and you know see how good they are. We're going to shift gears in the next segment. Stick around. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I like to I like to think outside the box. I like this radio show to live a little bit outside the box. I do. People always say stuff like that, but here's what I mean. Like 
You've got Oregon playing Colorado at Autzen Stadium. Big game. You got Washington State hosting Oregon State in Pullman tomorrow. Big game. A lot of college football, so my mind's on college football. And our next guest is a former University of Oregon football player. But there's a twist to the story. Because you may remember A.J. Hodgkins on the football field at Oregon. You may remember him at Tigard High School. And now he's fighting. We're going to talk to him about an upcoming fight. That's right, he's football turned fighter. We had a football player on here one time that turned into an opera singer. A.J. Hodgkins has done the opposite of that. <laughs> he is throwing fisticuffs now. And we'll talk to him about that coming up. But I want to talk some football with him as well. Because he's a guy who went through getting into the transfer portal after uh, his senior year at Oregon. And what was that experience like? As he looks back on his time at Oregon, it was an interesting time when he was there. You know, he sort of had this transition from Chip Kelly to Mark Helfrich to Willie Taggart to Mario Cristobal that was all going on. And A.J. Hodgkins was right in the middle of that. And he's joining us now. How are you, man? Hey, what's going on, brother? How are you? Really good to hear your voice. I know a lot of people, in, you know, your high school buddies are probably listening, and a lot of people who saw you play at Oregon are listening. But uh, let's talk a little football before we get into the fight stuff. Like, what do you what do you make of Coach Prime Colorado coming to Austin Stadium? You know what, man? I, I'm a huge fan, man. I, I've actually been watching Colorado the past couple weeks. I've been watching Oregon, too. Um, but I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Coach Prime and uh, – but I'm also hoping that Oregon goes ahead and gets the W this weekend, obviously, uh, being my alma mater. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of Colorado. I hope they hope they continue to do well this year, and I think uh, it's a good change-up for college football. All right. You know what it's like to play at Autzen, and you saw visiting teams come in there. What makes that environment difficult for, for opposing teams? Uh, I just think the noise level, man. I think the, the crowd gets rowdy and uh, gets behind the ducks, and um, – I think I think uh, you know for Colorado, I, I don't I don't know how much it'll affect them. You know, just given the fact that wherever they go, it's going to be a lot of camaraderie. But uh, you know, you know, I hope the I hope the stadium's rocking this weekend, and I hope that uh, it's a good game. When you left Oregon after your senior year, you were a graduate transfer. You got in the portal. You got to go through that experience. What what was that like? Because I think it's a fairly new phenomenon, and most of us will never get a chance to be in the portal. You know, what is that experience like as a player? Uh, you know, for as a as a player, so I wasn't uh I wasn't actually like with, with the NLI and all, all that yeah. stuff uh, right. before the it was, I actually had to graduate. So my my experience was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I was a grad transfer and I entered the uh transfer portal and that's why I ended up going to UTEP actually is because I graduated and uh I know I'm live on the radio right now, but my GPA wasn't the best. And so that was the only grad school that I could get into. Now I believe, and I, and I haven't I haven't been around college football or college football world in the last couple of years. But now I believe uh, you're you're allowed to transfer, and you don't have to sit out a year anymore. So it'd be no. a little bit different for me now. You know what I mean? Because that's yeah. being the fact that I wouldn't have had to uh, graduate. You know? Yeah, and because I know at the time when you left Oregon, I want to say like Arizona State and some others, uh, they wanted you because I know because I heard co- coaches talking about it and. You know, unfortunately, you yeah, you're right. You were at a time where you had to sit out a year, 
And, uh, you know, but now you could have just jumped in the portal, and I think it's a good thing for, for college football, obviously, and look at, look at what it's done for Colorado. Um, you know, for, for others who have watched you play, did you have a highlight at Autzen? Did you have a coach that maybe really mentored you and helped you? Like, you know, give us an idea of what it was like to be a player. Uh, man, it was awesome being a player, man, at Austin, uh, or at, at Oregon, excuse me. Uh, coach Pelham was uh, the coach that, the linebacker coach that recruited me. Um, I think I think he was moving from uh, D.C. to just being the linebacker coach at the time, but uh, I think Coach Pelham was a, a, a great mentor for all of the linebackers and really just everybody in the defensive room. Um, so, I mean, hats off to Coach Pelham. I haven't talked to him in, uh, in probably like three or four years now, but uh, – He's someone that I frequently think about, uh, and I, uh, especially as an adult, and, and now as a mixed martial artist, um, just my mindset and stuff has changed, and uh, now, now I kind of uh, resonate with, with some of the stuff that he was telling us, and I know that he was trying to steer us in the right direction. I was there uh, 2016, so it was an interesting time. It was a, a time between, Mar- like you said when, when you introduced me, it was a time between Mark Helfrich and then Willie Taggart, so the two years that I was there being a JUCO transfer, I was only there two years. And uh, so we changed the coaching staff. So it was a little bit different for me, um, uh, given that, given that, uh, given the coaching staff change. But I would say that Coach Pelham uh, had a huge impact on, on my life personally and uh, definitely the linebackers that were around me. Yeah, it was a, that, was, that was a weird time because Helfrich got fired and then it was Taggart and then it was one year and then it was Mario Cristobal. And I felt like the program really lost connection with a lot of players from the past. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, we. we uh, it's funny because uh, I was watching uh, some some of the Colorado uh, pregame stuff, and the last time that they beat Oregon, I guess, was uh, 2016. And then you asked about a big moment. I had a big sack that game um, <laughs> uh, uh, against uh, Colorado, and actually the the quarterback who I now know uh, he's he's from El Paso, Texas, where I live now. Uh, but it, anyway, uh, Vermontes, I think his name was. So that was a big play that I had. But uh, it's interesting. Yeah, we didn't do too well that 2016 year. We had we had pretty uh, pretty good players, man. Like with Justin Herbert and and like Pharaoh Brown, some of the some of the older guys. And uh, yeah, but anyway, just looking back at it, it's funny because uh, the last time Colorado beat uh, Oregon was at Oregon, and it was uh, 2016, my year. AJ Hodgkins, our guest. Uh, we've talked about him at Oregon as a linebacker. Now we got to talk about what he's doing now. Uh, you are in the MMA world. you got a fight coming up. Let's first talk about the transition you made from football to, to fighting. Was that something you always wanted to do, or did you just kind of pick it up in training, or how did you get started? No, man, I was, uh, you know, I started to become a fan of the UFC, man, and uh, and I started uh, right, right when, actually right when I got done playing, I, I started training. Maybe maybe a year afterwards, and it just started to scratch my competitive itch. You know, someone that's always always been competitive. I, I grew up playing sports my whole life, and then when I got done with football and the NFL didn't work out, um, I actually ended up getting the CFL contract. I didn't end up going to the CFL because I, I was in, uh, falling in love with the mixed martial arts and uh, some of the stuff that I was doing, uh, uh, like on an entrepreneurial side. But um, yeah, man, I, I right maybe about a year, year and a half after football. Um, dove into MMA, started picking up some jiu-jitsu, stuff like that. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm actively competitive, and uh, it's something that I felt falling more and more in love with every day. So um, just super excited to, to go out there and, and show my new skill set uh, this upcoming October 7th. 
Yeah, October 7th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting. That's Sean Merriman's uh, you know, group that uh, is doing the MMA fighting. Uh, it'll be in Long Beach, but uh, tickets at lightsoutxf.com. Uh, give me an idea. The adrenaline rush walking into a stadium, the adrenaline rush walking into a fight. How is it different? Uh, you know, I'll say the the you know when, when it's it's different because uh, one is a team sport and then one is just you out there, right? So uh, I, I I never really knew how to be a true competitor. I, I I'm picking up uh, uh, like being becoming a true competitor as a mixed martial artist, and the reason for that is is exactly what I just said, which is like I'm the only one going out there. It's it's 100% accountability and it's extremely intense. So uh, whatever competitive advantage that I can create. Uh, during training, uh, during my preparation leading up to the fight, the moments before the fight, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I'm trying to pick up on and go in there the best version of myself because at the end of the day, um, you know, you're the only one out there. It's like, you know, when you're playing linebacker, it's, it's very easy for, you know, for you to go out there and uh, and kind of hide because there's 22 other guys on the field at the same time. But, um, you know, you know, with this uh, transition into mixed martial arts, um, I love it because I'm I'm truly learning how to become a true competitor, and uh, it's totally changed my life. And uh, again, like I'm just super excited to show you guys the levels. And I've always been a really great athlete, and um, and I'm excited to show you guys that you know uh, because I I don't feel that I I, I reached my full potential as a football player from the mental aspect, but I think uh, with with this second time around in mixed martial arts, um, I'll get to show you guys that. So I'm, I'm extremely excited. Was there a moment for you where you were like, hey, this is cool. I could just keep it a hobby. I could just train and be, you know, this is a workout thing that where you went from that to I actually need to compete in this and see what I can do. Yeah, that's what it was at first. I was just kind of doing it. Uh, you know, I was doing some fitness influencing stuff at the time. And I was like, man, maybe I'll fight one of these influencers. Maybe I'll fight like Jake Paul or something and collect a bag. And, you know, maybe if I could just get good enough to fight one of those guys. And then, uh, you know, I started to, I started to compete uh, locally in some jiu-jitsu. And I was just like, man, you know, like, why not? You know, why not do this? You know, and this is a, this is a second opportunity for me. And then also, when you look at the sport of mixed martial arts, it's only been around, you know, maybe 30 years, right, at the UFC level. So, uh, one of the things for me is like, you know, football is a game that's been around for hundreds of years now, and it's a it's super saturated when it comes to just elite-level athletes. And I think that, uh, you know, more football guys, more more guys that maybe play basketball, uh, team sport athletes um, are going to start to pick up uh, mixed martial arts as you, as you continue to see it grow um, because, again, it's fairly new, and the UFC is only becoming more popular. So, I feel that I have a great chance and a great opportunity uh, to go in and take over the sport, and that's exactly what I intend to do. All right, give me an idea. You know, the the boxing part versus grappling versus the the jujitsu. What came most naturally to you? You know, with the with the football background, brother, is the is the wrestling, bro. I love to wrestle, man. I love like the feeling of like like just contact, you know, and. Uh, and, 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 uh, and so the wrestling's come very natural to me. But also I grew up playing basketball, man. So I grew up, and I, I didn't start playing football until my junior year. If you guys, uh, if you guys are, uh, if, if we got Tiger uh, individuals on the, they'll, they'll vouch for me on, on here. But, uh, yeah, I didn't start playing uh, football until my junior year in high school. So I grew up a basketball player, and I feel the, the basketball game is, is similar to the striking, just being out in open space, uh, footwork, movement, stuff like that. But I feel 
with my football background, the the, the jiu-jitsu, the wrestling has come super natural to me. It's like getting someone on the ground uh, in front of 65,000 uh, fans at Austin Stadium is, uh, is, is much tougher than getting someone on the ground uh, in, in the cage because we're locked in the cage together and it's just me and them. So, um, again, man, and, and, and like I said, man, the – the football athlete, I think football athletes are the best athletes in the world um, just from a raw athletic talent standpoint. So, um, again, I'm going into a game where I feel like I have a tremendous advantage due to my athletic ability. And, again, I, I just intend to show you guys that, and I'm excited to do so October 7th. Being in shape, in football shape, versus being in MMA, UFC shape, right. what's the difference? I'll tell you the difference, brother. There's no patting your head and coming out of the game, man. Once you're in the cage – uh, you're in the cage, you know, so if you gas out, that'll be on you. So, um, you know, uh, the, 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 and that's why, again, it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, my mindset as a football player versus my mindset as a mixed martial artist. And, you know, you, if you don't put your all and your everything into this, you're going to run into someone that is. And, uh, you know, you, they're going to show you that there's levels to this. And so I'm just putting my all, my, my, all, my everything into my training, into my preparation, and and, uh, and that'll lead to my, uh, you know, you know, great performances and, and I feel that it already has. I've only been training really two, two and a half years now. And, uh, you know, I'm super excited to watch, and I'm only going to continue to get better. A.J. Hodgkins is our guest. Uh, it'll be October 7th. Yeah, tickets are available at lightsoutxf.com. Uh, do you know much about the guy you're fighting? I don't know much about the guy I'm fighting, no. No, I'm, I'm you know what, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's more so about me. It's more so about just, like I said, man, just making sure I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm doing all the right things that I need to be doing and then showing up the best version of AJ. And that's uh, and that's what I intend to do, man, October 7th. Long Beach, California, if you guys are uh, in Southern California area, make sure you guys stop by. Um, it will be exciting. I promise you guys that. All right, AJ, I appreciate you. Thanks for giving us time. Uh, I'll be at Autzen, uh tomorrow. And Any prediction for Colorado, Utah? Excuse me, uh, Colorado, Colorado Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, Colorado yeah, Oregon. No, 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 you're good. Uh, man, you know, I think uh, I think it's going to be a shootout, man. I think Oregon go, uh, uh, wins 44-37. That's what, if, I had to, if I had to put a number on it. A lot of points. A lot of points. All right, AJ, <laughs> thank you, man. AJ Hodgkins now fighting. How about that? I, I think you're going to see more and more of that, too. I think we already are seeing it. But he got into fitness, and I was looking for a little different angle on the game. And I thought, you know... Here we got a guy who can talk a little bit about the game, also has an event coming up. Good to catch up with A.J. Hodgkins, Hodgkins uh, former Tigard High School standout. He says 44-37. I think that's too many points, but we'll see. We'll talk uh, coming up about our predictions for the game. Steven, we're going to lock in our predictions. Do you, uh, you think 44-37? That's a lot of points. You think it could be that kind of game? Um, I do. I, I think it could be that. Maybe not that high of scoring, but I do think that uh, Colorado is going to get into the 30s. I, I probably I have 45-31 yesterday, so mm -hmm. I'm 45-37. Not, not too far off. All right. So let's talk about our predictions coming up. We will uh, go through the Pac-12 weekend. By the way, the Super Niners looked pretty good last night on uh, Thursday Night Football. Don't think that I didn't notice that. Niners uh, beating up on the New York Giants. The Niners have that feeling to me that they, they are just that kind of team. They got to the NFC Championship a year ago. I know I'm a Niner fan. But, uh, you know, as long as they can keep their quarterback healthy, I, I think they're they're right there with the Philadelphia Eagles or whoever else shows up 
at the end of the season. All right, you and I will talk about our picks coming up. I'll uh, give my picks. I had one game I, I just went back and forth and back and forth on. I just don't know what to do with it, but ultimately I had to decide. So we'll lock in our Pac-12 picks plus the 5-at-5 five five coming up top of the hour. You got the BFT. I had a really nice gentleman who hit my car last year when it was parked in the parking lot at Autzen Stadium. It's a Duck fan who uh, just clipped the corner of my bumper as he was leaving the stadium. I leave the stadium pretty late. And uh, I walked out to the Autzen Stadium parking lot after the game and saw my car. And as I walked up, I was like, oh, man, you know how you have that feeling. We've, I think we've all been there. And then I saw the little note on the side of the car. And it had rained that night at Autzen Stadium. And so the note was like all disintegrated. But it was just uh, faint enough to say, sorry, I hit your car. Here's my phone number. So I called the guy up after the game. And it was a legit note. It wasn't somebody who hit your car and pretended. You ever have that happen? <laughs> or you ever hear about that happening? Because uh, people are watching. They pretend to leave a note. Uh, he li- literally left a note. And so my, my faith in humanity was restored by this very small ding to uh, my bumper or the back corner of my car. But, uh, you know, I originally talked to uh, his insurance, and uh, it was a really interesting experience. You have all dealt with insurance, and you're dealing with somebody else's insurance. You know what the game is. Like, they're creating a bunch of obstacles for you that are designed not to make it impossible for you to file the claim and get help, but there's just a little bit of uh, hoop jumping and uh, a little bit of resistance, just enough resistance, I'm sure, that they have figured out over time that some people go, oh, it's too much trouble, and they end up walking away. Um we're almost a year from when it happened, and I'm still dealing with that insurance company. And was on the phone with the insurance company today because the repair still hasn't been made because they're waiting for the approval from the insurance company. You ever been through this, Stephen, something like this? But the uh, I end up on the, on the phone, and because I listen to this radio station, which is filled with commercials from uh, collision centers and uh, place of auto body shops who say, hey, it's your right in the state of Oregon to get your repair done at a, uh, at, a, uh, at a shop of your choice. I ended up having a conversation with the lady today. I said, hey, state law in Oregon, I can go wherever I want. Because they were giving me a hard time saying, well, we have our approved or our preferred auto body places. What is it with insurance companies? Um, I would say... Uh- you know, they—it's uh, all about the money to them, right, John? Like they're gonna yeah. try to figure out how to get the most money for themselves and few bucks. Uh, their client. Yeah, it's all about the few bucks. So they're—they're they're gonna try to weasel the way to do whatever they can. I just want the car fixed, and I—you know—and at this point, I'm not even—I don't even care about the car. I, it's the principle of it. Like you know, that insurance company's gonna pay for that damn repair. Uh, but uh, I think I had a breakthrough moment today because I finally got him to go. Okay, yeah, you can take it wherever you want. Thank you, because I listen to this station. You know. You hear it on the commercials. Uh, it's it's your legal right. You can go to any auto body 
repair shop that you'd like to get it fixed at. Uh, we're going to give our picks coming up, more importantly. I'm just, I'm just pointing out that, hey, real-world problems. Uh, I'm just pointing that out because one of the things you won't get on this show is you're not going to get a bunch of red tape. You're not going to get a bunch of excuses. You're just going to get picks. Our week four picks. I feel like we should have a drum roll. Steven and I are going to rip through the games. We're going to lock in our final picks for these games, and we're going to start it with Colorado at Oregon. 12.30 tomorrow, ABC. Oregon is a 21-point favorite. That's the number we're using. I say Oregon covers 49-24. I don't feel great about the cover, but uh, I'm red hot this season, so bet against me at your own risk. I'm uh, 68% of the winners against the spread. I'll take Oregon. I'll lay the 21. It's the zigzag effect for me here, John. Uh, week one, Colorado was undervalued. Week two, overvalued. Week three was overvalued again. Now I think they're undervalued. Uh, I think it's gone back the other way. Uh, I know it was a close game against Colorado State, but we, we've talked about this. It, all eyes were on that game, and it's an easy game to lose your head and you know listen to yourself and you know, feel yourself how good you are, listen to all the press clippings. I think this is a game where Colorado can bounce back, and they keep it somewhat close. I think Oregon still wins going away, but I think Colorado covers. I think it's 45-31, uh, so give me Colorado plus the points. I'm leaning into a factor that very few people are talking about in this game. It's the exhaustion factor. I think there's a mental exhaustion that happens within a team, a program, or an entity that has had to expend itself week after week after week. And that's exactly what happened with Colorado in the last three weeks. I think they have to be emotionally exhausted, emotionally drained. We'll find out at kickoff. I've got Oregon winning big. Steven thinks it's closer. What do you say? Tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. Second game, game flying way under the radar. And this is the one I had the most trouble with. UCLA at Utah. 12.30 as well on Fox tomorrow. Cam Rising supposed to play. Believe it when you see it. That's part of the reason why I had a problem with this game. I don't know if Rising for sure will play the whole game. I don't know if he'll be rusty. I believe in Cam Rising. I believe in Utah's depth. But it's a major factor in this game. And so... It, it removes some of my confidence level when it comes to predicting this game. I also think the the Rice-Eccles Stadium factor is going to be a problem for UCLA. They've got a true freshman quarterback in Dante Moore. The Utes have won 16 straight games at home. The trend is your friend, so I'm picking Utah to win the game. Like home favorites, Utah's a five-and-a-half-point favorite, and I'll take them to cover reluctantly, because I don't love it. I don't love five and a half. I don't love, you know, I think UCLA is really good. I just think this has to do more with the mystique and the magic of Utah playing at home than anything else. I'll take it Utah 31, UCLA 27. Yeah, I think uh, Utah wins and covers this game. Utah has been battle-tested. They played Florida, who already has a nice win over Tennessee. They're in the top 25 now. They went on the road. They beat Baylor and did that with a backup quarterback. You know, I expect Cam Rising to play. We don't know that for sure, but I think you get a little boost from that. You get a little boost from the crowd. Then you look at UCLA. They haven't really been tested this season. They've had a pretty easy non-conference. So, you know, going into Rice Eccles, tough environment there. I do worry about this, John. You know, a lot of times we see quarterbacks come off of serious injuries. That first game, they're not quite, you know, on target. You know, there's a little off. I do worry about that, but I think Cam Rising's good enough and knows that offense well enough. I you think- have a you have a score. So I'm saying I'm saying UCLA in the points. But Utah wins the game, yeah, 31-27. What do you say? I think it's going to be Utah like 28-17 over UCLA. I think it's going to be more of a slower down cover. game. Yes, All right. cover. 
Oregon State, Washington State, 4 o'clock on Fox. I'm worried about Oregon State. I don't like how they looked against San Diego State in Week 3. But the defense at Oregon State has given up 17 points, 7 points, and 9 points in three games. This is more of a statement about Oregon State's defense than its offense. Think about that. Two years ago, they couldn't stop anybody. Three years ago, it was a field day. It's Trent Bray's defense that will be the story Saturday. Oregon State is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the Beavers are going to cover that. I think they're going to win. 27-21, Oregon State. Man, this is a sneaky spot, John. I I think the more I get towards the game, I like Oregon State even more. I I think Washington State, they are good, um, but I think Oregon State is just better. And we talked about just the talent and the Jimmys and Joes. I think Oregon State's got those guys. And I expect them to go on the road. They're, the type of game that Oregon State plays, it travels, right? Run the football, be physical. I think they can do that against Washington State. And I think they get the win. I think it's, you know, 28 to 20, something like that. But uh, I think Oregon State wins and covers. We're in about the same place. I said 27 21. You said 28 20. I think we're in the same neighborhood there. Uh, Arizona at Stanford, 4 o'clock, Pac 12 Networks. These teams have not met since 2019. Due to the scheduling and the pandemic and the rotation, they skipped each other. Uh, this is a must-win for Arizona. After this one, they get seven straight opponents who are currently ranked in the AP Top 25, and they know that. So if they want to be bowl eligible or make a run at bowl eligibility, this is a must-win for the Wildcats. Stanford coming off a bad loss to Sac State. Arizona is favored by 11.5. I think Arizona covers it. I got it 38-20, Arizona. Yeah, I can't I can't go with Stanford right now. It just seems like uh, they're not quite ready. It's a year zero situation for Troy Taylor and uh, Arizona. You're right. They have such a tough schedule coming up. If they want any chance to be bowl eligible, they got to come in and win. This is the type of game that Jaden Delora dominates when it's a lesser competition. When he plays tougher competition, that's where he struggles. But those lesser teams, he does really well. Uh, I'll take Arizona, and I'll lay the points. we got three games in the Pac-12 where favorites are favored by 20 points or more. Cal at Washington is the second one. 7.30, Saturday, ESPN, in Seattle. A lot of reasons to pick the Huskies in this game. Only one reason to pick the Bears to play them close, and that's Justin Wilcox. And I think Justin Wilcox, if he ever gets a job or he's got more talented players, he could be really scary. I think Cal will stay within the 21. I still think they're going to lose and lose by double digits. But I think Washington will be uh, slowed down a little bit here by Cal. They have historically uh, not played as well against Justin Wilcox. I think he finds a way to slow him down. I have it. Washington 35, Cal 17. Still a solid win by the Huskies, but I'll take Cal in 21. Yeah, I think Washington's the best team in the conference, and I think they continue rolling. Uh, you know, you're right. This is a Justin Wilcox spot where he keeps the game close and he maybe covers, maybe even keeps it even close game, a one-score game, two-score game. But, man, I, I just I don't like what I've seen out of Cal's offense ever since that week one against North Texas. I think Washington's just rolling right now. Uh, give me Washington laying the points about 38-14 to 14 type of game. Wow. USC at Arizona State in the nightcap, 7.30 Saturday on Fox. Lincoln Riley, 17 games he's coached at USC. Doesn't feel like that many. This will be game number 18. His team has scored 55 or more points on five occasions already. It's going to be number six this week. Arizona State's bad. Made a bunch of turnovers last week. Even if they don't turn the ball over, Fresno State probably still beats them. Uh, they, Sun Devils coming off getting shut out at home. Now they're going to be embarrassed at home. 
despite what Kenny Dillingham is saying about, you know, you got to play the game. This is all about, you know, the Jimmys and the Joes and expecting to win. I think USC, they're favored by 34-and-a-half. I don't think that's enough. I think they win this one 56-10. It could be 49 nothing. But I think they will cover, and I'm going to give you a little Kenny Dillingham to prove it. If you don't expect to win every game, you got a problem. I don't care if I'm playing Michael Jordan in basketball. I'm not playing to lose. Otherwise, why would I, why would I play? I'm not just going to play because it's fun. No, what's fun is competing to win. So you're playing to win. That's it. And if you don't, whether, whatever happens after the game, it doesn't matter. You then watch the tape, and you get better, and you grow, and you get better, and you grow, and get better. And eventually... Right? Saturday nights are going to feel better. But if you don't take the field and you expect to win the football game, something's wrong. You should expect to win. You, you should, that's, otherwise, you shouldn't be on the field. I don't, do you, I don't disagree with the sentiment, John. He yeah. is right. Like, go out and try to win and feel like you're going to win every time. But I look at USC when they took on Stanford. It was 56-10 to 10 in that one, 49-3 at halftime. I feel like that's what it could be this one. USC names the score on that one. I'll take USC to those points. Do you think there's a danger for Kenny Dillingham to be as emotional as he has been in the early part of his tenure? Meaning that, you know, if you are preaching this way but not getting the result, is that is there a potential that you lose the locker room? I think so, and I also think that the way he's going about it, like you said, being emotional, that works for some people. Other people, it it doesn't work for them. It turns them off. Like me personally, I don't get inspired by this rah rah stuff. Like I think it's I think it's pretty silly, and I think it, he kind of looks like a clown when he does it. And so, like, I wouldn't want to go play for a guy like that because I, that's just not how I vibe. So I, I do think that there's going to be some people that really love it and they enjoy it and they're going to be a part of it. But there's going to be other guys that say, you know what, this doesn't work for me. Like I'm not that. I don't need to be emotionally pushed because I, you know, I want to play. I want to win. So I think it is a little risky what he's doing right now, and it, it, it may just be a little immaturity, a little lack of experience as being a head coach because it's first year, first couple games. But uh, yeah, I think there's definitely some questions right now about Kenny Dillon and him. I think yeah. he'll be good at the end, but I think I got some questions right now. If I could advise him, I would just tell him, look, I get it. The the emotion, it's part of you, who you are. It's part of what made you successful, the emotion. But you got to um, you got to measure it a little bit because if you are out there expending this kind of energy and this kind of emotion and losing, you know, forty nine nothing or fifty six to ten on Saturday to USC, um, that's not sustainable. You will lose that locker room. Here he, here he was at his introductory news conference. And so I am delighted to introduce Ken Dillingham as the new head coach of Arizona State football. I'm home. First thing I want to say is I want to thank Dr. Crow, Ray Anderson, Gene Boyd, Marcus Williams. I mean, this is literally home. Home. Yes, sir. There's no emotion in football. <laughs> His wife's been at it all morning, so he had to catch up. <laughs> so I say that. Because this place is special. This state is special. The people in this room are special. I got guys in my wedding right there.
saw. Sorry. Pretty emotional, right? It's just who I am. But one thing you're going to get from me, okay? I am who I am. He is emotional. Is it a detriment, though? Yeah, I think when you're winning, you know, people look at that and they go, gosh, look how much he cares. And when you're first starting out in year one, they're like, look how passionate he is. But I, I think one of the smart things that Jonathan Smith did at Oregon State and really inheriting a situation that wasn't that much different than what Kenny Dillingham walked into at Arizona State, maybe even worse. I mean, remember, Gary Anderson had quit midseason on Oregon State the year before. But Jonathan Smith came in, and he was very measured in how he talked. He tried to be upbeat. He tried to be optimistic. He tried to set goals that were attainable, like, you know, we're trying to be competitive. We want to be competitive in games. I can remember Smith saying that in his first year, and then it was, you know, we want to, uh, we want to win games. And then after they started winning games, it was, we want to go to Vegas. Two years ago, it was, we want to go to Las Vegas and play for the conference championship. And I kind of looked at him like, is he crazy? Like, does he not know that this was a 2-10 and team he inherited a couple years ago? But it took steps there. And I kind of, uh, let's see how it goes for Kenny Dillingham. I could be wrong here. I could be out in left field. But I kind of wonder if some of this emotion ends up coming back to bite him. Well, because... In his own locker room. Yeah, I worry about the because we talk about this like being undisciplined and being emotional on the field, like that can cause problems. Like when you're on the field, you make mistakes. You just don't want to see that when it comes to Kenny Dillingham making mistakes because he's too emotional on the sidelines. You got to try to keep a level head. So you know, I don't, I don't think you're in left field. I think there are some concerns, but it's hard to say with this type of talented or untalented team. Yeah, and I think we'll, know, of course, we'll know more as uh, as all this gets closer. But all right, let me go back th- through the picks, Stephen. Of the games, Colorado, Oregon, UCLA, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona, Stanford, Cal, Washington, USC, Arizona State, which game do you feel strongest about your pick? I think right now I think the Beavs. The more I think about it, the more I think Oregon State has the better team. They have the better physical style that that Washington State can't match up against. I do think that you look at Oregon State defensively, they struggled a little bit against the run last week against San Diego State, but Washington State doesn't run the football that often. Like they're a passing team, and I think this BU secondary is pretty good. I, I like Oregon State. I think they're going to out physical Washington State all day long, and Damian Martinez is going to run all over them. I think Oregon State wins by double digits, and, and I might be wrong on that, but I think they're going to get this jo- do- job yeah. done pretty easily. I have them covering. I also agree with you. Of the games that I picked, it's the game that I feel most confident about. The second game is USC. Uh, boat racing Arizona State. and But Oregon State, the more I look at it, it comes down to Oregon State's offensive line against Washington State's front seven. And they dominated that battle last year. They statistically uh, have dominated that battle this year. As you look at Washington State against the run and Oregon State running the ball, that appears to be a really bad matchup for Jake Dickert's defense. But I know Dickert well enough to know that what he's going to do is he's going to commit to not allowing Oregon State to win that battle which means DJ Uyengalele is going to have to make plays for Oregon State. And that's what I would do. If I were playing Oregon State, I would say, hey, I, I'm not going to let you beat me at the point of attack with what you do best. I'm going to make you beat me with something that you, you, know, you haven't done before, which is DJ throwing the ball. So look at that battle as it goes down on uh, Saturday's game. But I agree with you. That's my five-star pick. What game would, do you have the most trouble with? For me, it's the Arizona-Stanford game. I, I, don't, I can't trust no. James Delora, but I can't I feel trust good about that either. one. I feel good about that one. The game that I have the most trouble with is Colorado-Oregon. 
I'm worried about a backdoor cover. I think Oregon wins the game, but I'm worried that Colorado scores some points in the game or scores a late touchdown or a late 14 to make what would have been like a 49-24 game something like uh, 49-35 instead, you know. And so uh, that's that's the concern I have. With it. It's too many points. I don't like 21 points against an offense that I know can score a little bit. And we saw them against TCU score in the 40s. So I know they can score a little. So the, the emphasis really for Saturday's game, tomorrow's game, for Oregon's defense is, you know, you got to get Colorado off the field and – if I'm Oregon, I want to stay on the field here. Like, and I'm not talking about like just, you know, of course you want points in the game, but I want to see Oregon run the ball and keep Colorado's defense on the field for long drives. And you get into the third and fourth quarter against a team that, you know, we saw it last night. It was kind of like what the Niners did to the New York Giants last night. By the end of the game, the Niners had run like 74 plays against 50 plays for the New York Giants. It just was a matter of that Giants defense being on the field all second half. Oregon's got to do that to Colorado. But that's the game that I find to be diciest for me is Oregon given 21. I just I don't love that 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 many points with an offense that I know can score a little bit. 100% on that one. And it's tough because you like you're right. Like Oregon, I think they should just pound the rock. Like Colorado can't stop the run, but at the same can't time you want to make plays down the field, and that's where Colorado can cause some problems in the secondary. They, they've forced a lot of turnovers. Uh, they forced 10 on the season in three games. It's really good. So you just got to pound the rock on them, and it's hard to stay that yeah. disciplined. I, I, it, keep in mind, if you saw the Nebraska game, you kind of have to throw that out from a turnover perspective. Nebraska's quarterback couldn't catch the ball. Like, it was snapped to him twice. He just dropped it. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, the Colorado defense has forced another turnover. I'm like, No. Uh, Nebraska's quarterback dropped the ball, and maybe some of that has to do with Colorado's defense being in his face. But, you know, get your eyes on the ball. All right, coming up, uh, we'll have the 5 at 5 top of the hour. You got the BFT. Well, there's a whole bunch of college football going on tomorrow. There's also uh, a way for you. To get involved in helping your community. Well, how do you do that? Well, you test drive a car. Here to talk about it, the one and only Bess Wills of Gresham Ford, friend of this show. Bess, how are you? Great, John. I'm just great. I'm so excited that you're able to get us on the show to talk about Drive for Your School. Why are schools important to you? Because our kids are our most precious asset, and... To get them doing football and cheerleading and all the other things, the dance teams, you know, that is, you know, that's the secret sauce. So you are doing something tomorrow. Gresham High School's football team and dance teams uh, getting involved in this as well out at Gresham Ford. If you take a spin in a new Ford vehicle for every test drive taken, Ford Motor Company is giving $20 to your school. A little drive goes a long way in that case. But, uh, you know, why is Ford's back in this? Ford believes in kids. Your dealership, uh, you know, obviously believes in kids and the football teams and the dance teams. But this should be a pretty – this is a no-brainer. Like, you know, if, so, if you're available 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., go on out to uh, Gresham Ford and, and uh, test drive a car. 
Is that right? Well, Simple this is what I say. You know, would you rather do this or eat some beef sticks? You know, we always know the kids come home <laughs> selling beef sticks. Well, the you know, the best thing is you just come out and you drive a brand new electric F-150 Lightning or a Mach-E or even a Bronco. You just drive it around the block. No pressure, absolutely no pressure. You just need your smartphone. You download a little survey, and then they send you a survey, and instantly, you know, the school is going to get 20 bucks. Love that. Everybody wins it. And, by the way, the Ford Bronco, with the I see people driving them. There's several different models. That is a very cool thing that Ford did, bringing back that Bronco in that way. Yeah, because there's the Bronco Sport, and then there's the big, you know, then the two-door big Bronco, and then the big, big Bronco Bronco, and then there's a Bronco Raptor, even. What are you driving, Bess Wills? Well, I'm driving a Mach-E right now, uh, the electric. You like and it? And I truly, yeah, I truly do like it. I, um, you know, uh, we're fortunate enough that Bob has a beautiful EcoBoost F-150, so if we try to take a long, you know, if we need to take a long trip to see the grandkids in California, we can take that. But my everyday driving, uh, you know, it's so fabulous not to have to stop at a gas station. Well, I wanted to bring you on because you're doing this uh, this uh, great thing for, for kids and, and the programs there in Gresham and for schools in general uh, and give you an opportunity to talk about it. But I want to tell our listeners again, uh, this is at Gresham Ford, 1999 East Powell Boulevard, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. tomorrow. So if you get a break between your football games or if you're out in Gresham and you're like, hey, there's Gresham Ford, all you have to do is stop by. Take a spin in a new Ford vehicle. Every test drive taken, Ford will donate $20 to your school. So big and opportunity. And Coach Martinez, and you'll be helping Coach Martinez, he has more kids playing football than he has helmets. So he needs to buy some more helmets, and this is the kind of thing that you driving a brand-new Ford around the block will do is, you know, get our kids safe so they can get out there and have the great experience of football but at the same time, be really safe. I love that. Bess, thank you for what you do. I know you support the BFT Foundation and the food bank and the schools there in Gresham and the community. And, um, you know, you're one of those businesses, I think, that gets it, that, you know, really invests in the community that you that you work in and you live in. Well, we are so happy to have you as a spokesperson and a sponsor because you are just the best, John Canzano. I thank you, Bess. Get out to Gresham Ford. Go see Bess. Thank you, Bess. Go see Bess. Test drive a car. 20 bucks for the schools. That's pretty easy. Come on. Had harder things. Like I love what she said about the beef sticks. It was candy bars in my childhood. They had us going door to door selling candy bars that nobody wanted to eat, well, except the people that were selling the candy bars. When you got hungry, you're out selling the candy bars. You're like, you know what? I'm going to eat one of these. But my parents will pay for it. And then in the end, what do you have? You got a bunch of people, you're, you know, shilling candy bars or take a test drive in a Ford vehicle. Go give it a, give it a shot. If you're out that way, it's a great, uh, I wanted to bring her on and pop her on to talk about it. It's a great opportunity for people to get involved. Um, all right, college football tomorrow, 1230. It'll be Oregon and Colorado. Four o'clock, it'll be Oregon State and Washington State. It's going to be a long, big day of college football. I'm glad that we will uh, next week be around to talk about it. We'll have all of the breakdown as we head into week five of the season. It's happening fast now. like, And, and really, in week five is when it starts to get serious 
with matchups as you have Oregon State hosting Utah on a Friday, a week from today, and then you have obviously week six, and then week seven is um, Oregon and Washington. Big matchup there. Somebody asked me today if I thought Washington was for real. Like, what do you mean by for real? Because the question to me is, isn't like, are, is Washington for real or is Oregon for real? The question is, who's going to be playing the best football in like weeks 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? Because that's when all of these Pac-12 teams will start to play each other. So right now, yeah, Michael Penix Jr. looks great against Boise State and Tulsa and Michigan State. And he'll look great against Cal and Arizona. But what will he do in the stretch that includes Oregon and then late in the year in November, USC, Utah, and Oregon State in consecutive weeks? That's brutal. Like, so I don't know if anybody's going to get through this unscathed, but who's playing the best football in week 7, 9, 10, 11? That's who's winning the conference. You know, right now, the top 25 rankings are still based a lot on the eyeball test. And our eyes tell us that Washington's pretty good. Leave it here. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Anna's in the studio. Anna's in the studio for the five at five. She is ready. It was it was picture day today at our elementary school. And by our elementary school, I mean the school that our kids attend. Picture day. I don't remember picture day being that big a deal when I was in elementary school. I would throw on my uh, favorite jersey of my favorite team and I would go to school. That was picture day. These kids in our household, they're picking out outfits. They're having their hair braided. Mom's got a hairbrush out, working on them. Next thing you know, they're going to have stylists. Can you imagine the photographers of today, if they could talk to the photographers of yesteryear? You know, at my school, it was some some guy who had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> Next. Click. Next. Click. Nowadays, seventh grader posing for a photo. No, no, that's my bad side. <laughs> Let me give you one off the gram. It's just a better shot. Can you imagine, Anna, the photographers? I don't have to imagine because I sat and chatted with them today. Oh, you did? volunteering during picture day. What'd they say? And I said, hey, at what age are the kids demanding to see the photo right away and asking for a retake? They said, middle school's not too bad yet, but high schoolers are a nightmare. So they've had to institute some hardline rules about retakes. I would imagine. <laughs> imagine? Because in this day and age, you know, they want people want airbrush. Oh yeah, and they want. Um, they need their best side. They get their best side, and is it the parents or the kids? Uh oh no, I think it's just a sign of the times. Both. You know, it's the Instagram thing. It's the fact that you know everything has to be perfect. Kids, yeah, which is gross. Like I no, things don't have to be perfect. You know, I was looking at the photographs of. Uh, the college sophomore to be junior. Junior, she's going to be. 
Yeah. Coming Ooh, up. Um, I was looking at her elementary school pictures because we have one of those frames <laughs> that has all 12 photos, like from kindergarten all the way through 11th or 12th grade. Yeah. It's got the photos all next to each other. You can kind of see the age progression of your child. A lot of people have these things. And, but the, my favorite photo is first grade because I did her hair for first grade. And I know this because... I did two ponytails, and one of them is a little higher on her head than the other. So it's not symmetrical. And that photo, at the time, I got a lot of grief for it. People were like, why didn't you do her hair right? You know, my mom was telling me, look at her hair. Uh, But I think it's the most charming thing now, because you know Daddy did your hair that day, looking back at your uh, elementary school photos. You Did you text her last night and tell her sorry? I didn't. I just, I texted her all, like a picture I took of the frame that has uh-huh. all the photos. Yeah. I said, picture day tomorrow. And she said, send me pictures of my uh, sisters, cute. which is good. Yes. So how did picture day go for for our kids? Did they pass it? Did they do, do good smiles? What happened? Oh, they were fine. Our, our kids don't smile with their teeth. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, okay, you're going to go Mona Lisa yeah, every me. year. That's the me in them. I, it must be. <laughs> Because it's not me. And I actually got a lot of, uh, I got a kick out of all the kids that came in. Because on picture day is when you really see the personalities come out, you know. You got a kid sidling up to the picture line with a 10-gallon white cowboy hat. Uh, There were kids that wanted to wear their baseball caps. There were, it's just, there were were kids in like full three-piece suits. I was like, wow, somebody convinced you to wear that to school today. That's amazing. My I brother was did very that. impressed. My brother wore a suit to one of his picture days really? in elementary school. It's so yeah. cute. Yeah, did it on his own. So. Oh, really? Yeah, we watched oh, him. Oh, that, that fits. We kind of watched him go out the door. We were like, okay, how's this going to go today for that guy? Cause it might be a rough one today. <laughs> Great. But uh, you know, I don't know. I I I wore like my favorite jersey. Yeah. And that was it. Did I, you really? Yeah. You were a jersey. Kid. I had a Forty ers jersey on in one year. Okay. I had some other blue jersey. I don't even know what team it was that I wore. There another were no. Year. There were no jerseys today. I saw not one. Jerseys of hundreds of kids. You heard it here. Jerseys have become not what not fashionable or not. I don't know. Is it is it not dressy enough? For picture day. No, I mean, there were plenty of just casual t-shirts. There were no jerseys. No jerseys. None. Not a really? one. Really? Not a one. Yep. Ooh. There was a lot of, like, button-up. Uh, I mean, there were all kinds of things. I think the cutest thing is that kids generally show up and and they're generally feeling good about themselves. You know, like, they've done some level of preparation for picture day that is beyond the norm. And uh, it's it's cute. That's nice. Yeah. All right, we're going to do the five at five. Five biggest stories here on Picture Day. Here we go. The five at five. The number one story is... I don't know how they managed to do this, but thieves tore down a security fence at Soldier Field and drove equipment out of the garage sometime overnight on Wednesday. So the Chicago Bears are dealing with about $100,000 in missing equipment. And they're on the road this weekend. Oh, man. Been a really bad 10 days for the Bears. Justin Fields, he's blaming everybody. Then he says, I don't blame everybody. D coordinator resigns. Now they've lost 
what is it, like their lawnmowers and all their equipment? <laughs> like somebody stole all their equipment? Gators? Lawnmowers? How do you get away with that? I think that's got to be an inside job. Don't you think? Like the investigator in me says inside job. Somebody who was around the equipment knew how to get to the equipment. And that's a lot of equipment. Now, what do you do with all that? What do you do with a hundred grand of stadium, you know, caliber lawnmowers? How do you fence that successfully on eBay? You look at the guy who's mowing his lawn in like six seconds because the mower is just like done. Well, good luck to the Bears. Put that in the category of takeaways. All right, number two. Uh, well. Deion Sanders got a parking ticket uh, on his shiny white Lamborghini on this uh, eve of the game against Oregon. I had to look it up to figure out, like, he didn't, like, drive his Lamborghini to Eugene. Yeah, what happened? No, this was a Lamborghini that was parked in Colorado somewhere, and the police there gave him a ticket. His kid, Deion Sanders Jr., took video of the car with the ticket under... uh, one of the windshield wipers and uh, was talking about that. So, wait, 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 why did he take the picture of it? He took video of it like to shame the parking people who gave his dad a ticket? Like, how dare you give my dad a ticket? Look at what he's done for Boulder. I mean, I don't think necessarily that was the message. It was just more like, uh, I don't know. His words were, Lamborghini Prime, I love to see it. They even gave him a ticket. They even gave my dad a ticket. Yeah, boys, crazy. They gave him a ticket. What do you think? What he's doing there? What's what are they doing there, Stephen? Stephen, what are they doing? I don't know, but I just liked how Anna read that and the tone in her voice. Uh, I I imagine that's exactly what Deion Sanders Jr. sounded like when he said it on the video. But I don't. I I feel like they are trying to shame him. Like, how dare you give Deion a uh, ticket? I feel like that's what's going on there. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's. I think I. I gotta say credit to the parking person who pulled out the ticket, knowing full well that that Lambo belonged to Coach Prime, and went. Eh, it's illegally parked. I gotta give the ticket. <laughs> Paul Blart, mall cop. You know. <laughs> Number three. I figured it was problematic. If I, if I tried to do an impression, it would be not good. Um, okay, let's talk about the NCAA committee advising removing marijuana from banned drugs. How about that? The uh, A committee with the NCAA cited extensive study informed by industry and subject matter experts as the basis for this. And they are recommending that the governing body of college sports remove marijuana and related substances, must be like edibles and other ways to consume it, from its list of prohibited drugs, according to a press release today. Now, it is still, you know, illegal in some places, but medical marijuana is now legal in 38 states. Recreational marijuana, for anyone that's counting, is legal in 23 I think this is more of a realization from the NCAA that how can you have a substance banned that's legal inside said state? Like Colorado and Oregon, two states that are examples, play this football game on Saturday. Marijuana is a banned substance, but it's legal within both of those states. You got It's just problematic. Well, sports leagues are reevaluating their approach to marijuana. 
Major League Baseball removed it from its drugs of abuse list in December of 2019, so that was several years ago. The NBA no longer tests for marijuana in its latest collective bargaining agreement. I have to think that, you know, I bet I was told by an NBA gen- general manager, Kevin Pritchard, that he felt that alcohol was a bigger problem for the league than marijuana. Hmm. And this was, you know, several years ago when he was with the Blazers as the GM. Yeah. He, he just said alcohol is a much bigger issue because players were using alcohol to medicate you know what they were feeling over the course of a long season and abusing alcohol in that way and marijuana was i think less of an issue so i wonder if that this is sort of the ncaa catching up to what you know baseball and nba and everybody else has already got there years ago it's pretty fitting number four Uh, Scott Barnes making some headlines today, Oregon State, talking about relegation. Um, He said in a press conference yesterday that, you know, as you think about the future of media rights, he thinks uh, a relegation model, either in unequal distribution, a contraction of teams, and or peer regulation, will take place. I think that's coming. Yeah, he's talking about... You know, the mid-major teams, the the group of five teams that are left out of Power 5 football, there's been some talk about would they form a league that had a relegation element? And would relegation become a thing for major college football? Meaning, you know, you finish last in the Power 5, you end up having to go to the group of five. You finish first in the group of five, you're promoted uh, into uh, the Power 5. Scott Barnes... Pat Chun, the two athletic directors at Oregon State and Washington State, uh, both talked about this. Here's what Chun had to say had to say about the possibility of relegation. I would agree with Scott. Um, change is going to be constant in college football, and we just watched it with uh, current, soon-to-be former Pac-12 schools take media distributions at fifty cents on the dollar compared to the peer institutions that they're going to some zero dollars to 30 cents on the dollar uh so the to scott's point um how dollars are distributed amongst conferences has changed literally overnight um it's been very clear that tv looks as college football as an inefficient uh purchase and college football looks at tv as um um they are they are focusing on big brands right now or what they deem the biggest brands and uh things are changing and the model is going to change and um, you know, college football is either going to have to uh, adapt to that or create a different type of model, um, a to- different total model, but changes on the horizon. I have not studied that Boise model, but I've, I've said it over and over. Oregon State and Washington State would not be subject to relegation uh, in, in, in a relegation model because uh, I don't see a model where two top 25 programs would be relegated. There it is. Uh, Pat Chun, Scott Barnes, both talking about it. This is part of a news conference yesterday that Oregon State and Washington State did together. It was very unusual. Both university presidents, both athletic directors, talking a lot about the predicament they find themselves in in the football game that will be played in Pullman tomorrow. Number five. Uh, This one, I'm not even sure I want to do it, but I guess I'll do it. Dwayne Wade um, opening up about one of the most challenging times in his life. 
admitting that he nearly ended things with his wife, Gabrielle Union, after finding out that he was having a child with another woman. So the Miami Heat legend uh, fathered his son Xavier during a pause in his relationship with Gabrielle Union and talks about how this couple is still dealing with issues to this day. They go to therapy. They've had shouts, regular conversations, and it continues to be something that he's working at. I, I like that you did this story because I think it it highlights or underscores the idea that, you know, we sometimes look at celebrity relationships and we see only the pretty parts of them. Yeah. And here's Dwayne Wade talking about the fact that, like, they went through some stuff and that they battled through it, fought through it, whatever. I don't know, that they worked through it together. Feels like they're in an okay place, yeah? Yeah, I mean, he's saying, you know, it's taking work to keeping it going. He said he even considered cutting ties with her, but he's thankful that she didn't give up on their love for each other. Um... It's an interesting story, because then he also talks about how he's got this son who's out there now, and he's always going to have sort of this stain, is what he called it, of how he came to be, right? Oh. But uh, it's it's a very real conversation that he was talking about with Shannon Sharp. I'm glad he had the conversation. I, you know, I, I too, I, I think the same thing. Like, I didn't even think about the kid when you were telling that story Mm -hmm. and my heart dropped and I thought oh yeah there's a kid out there who knows that he exists because of this and maybe that's the positive I mean that's obviously the positive that came out of that break Mm -hmm. in their relationship but I think it's good that that you have celebrity couples or celebrities that will talk about stuff like that because I think there's a lot of people that are going through messy stuff that probably look around and all. What do you see on Instagram? You see everybody's perfect. Everybody's everybody's <laughs> in a tropical place, smiling. Yeah, this is great. There should be a whole social media that's for all the bad stuff. <laughs> should be. You can only post if you're having a crappy day. <laughs> you feel like garbage. You didn't sleep. You got an argument with your partner. Something's going wrong. Yes. <laughs> I drove all the way to the gym and it was closed. <laughs> Selfie. <laughs> you know. Anna went to the Anna went to DEQ the other day. You drove to DEQ on Monday. Yeah, DEQ's closed on Monday. Public service announcement. And that moment it's where closed on yeah, Monday. But that moment where you realize it's closed. Yes. Your phone should just light up. Selfie. Three, <laughs> two, one. You know. But like that's not the stuff that you document on socials, is it? Now it should be, be a lot more real, a lot more authentic. You know, put our frustrations out there. It, it should be like it shouldn't be like the airbrushed picture. It should be like I shaved today and I missed a spot right under my nose and I look like Hitler. Oh like gosh. that's the picture you have to put on. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that's the picture you have to put on social media. That's like a Wednesday for you. <laughs> you know, I just I missed the spot. You miss that spot all the time. Well, I'm busy. <laughs> you forget. That's the five five at five. You ever miss a spot shaving, Stephen? Oh, all the time, yeah. And uh, and Mrs. Vaughn, Coach Vaughn, she will uh, call me out on it, just like that. Yeah, she'll be like, you look like Hitler. <laughs> Fix that spot. I don't John know if she goes to, that far. He but, has to carry around, like, disposable razors yeah. in his glove well, box because he, he'll miss a spot, and he'll he might 
do a check before he goes and I'm not one of those people. Someone. I'm just not one of those people who looks in the mirror a lot. <laughs> so you have to kind of check me. You'll be like, hey, man, your shirt's on inside out. We all need you know? a spotter. We all need a spotter. <laughs> <laughs> but I am like the nutty professor who just oh doesn't look at what, you know. The best part is you walk around all the time with your shoelaces untied. True. He's that guy. And for anybody who's even slightly OCD... <laughs> Uh, it drives people like total strangers yeah. will come up to us with just like a eleventh level of concern <laughs> that you're gonna fall over on your face because your shoelace is untied. Yeah. It's usually some woman in her seventies sure. yeah. who comes over out of the goodness of her heart and is like, His shoelace your shoelace is untied. The- and I have to look at her and be like, I know. He knows and I know I thank him. <laughs> I always thank him and then I don't tie it. You know, shoelaces. I just say, that's one of those grosser things because you're just your laces are touching a bunch of stuff on the ground. You don't know what's on the ground. Yeah, but then what? Who's? I'm never touching the laces. So what's the problem? <laughs> you know, like the bottom I, I of your the, shoes touching the ground too. You ever touch that? I, mean, I guess if you never tie your shoes, that's that's one thing. <laughs> I don't he, tie he my shoes. It's not like he's going on sucking on the laces when he's just sitting around. <laughs> yeah, you know? He's on your hand that you touch other things. I don't know. No, there's bacteria. Maybe that's the point. Maybe one time I had my laces untied and I was in like uh, some stadium in the bathroom. There's urine all over the floor, and I went, "Eh, "I'm never touching those again." (laughs) You know, (laughs) maybe that's what happened. I'm serious though. It is the funniest thing because there there really are people we've encountered who are happens every day. They are aghast that you are just nonchalantly walking around with untied laces and as your wife i have to like be the person behind you as the explainer to be like that that's just how he is he needs you know, uh he needs shoulder shoes well actually i've been wearing those kizzik's that you slip on you get them at shoe mill you slip in you slip out oh, those are the that. those are the look who's working in a little shoe mill those there. are the uh those are the shoes that i wear <laughs> i'm telling you they were made for me you don't no laces you slip them on you slip them off and where do you get those uh, but hey here's the other thing though if we're being real about the shoelace thing, yeah, let's be real. Since I was about Strip away the facade. seven years old, okay, yes. this has been going on. <laughs> yeah, I just don't tie my shoes. Uh-huh. I know how to tie my shoes. <laughs> I choose not to. Okay? I need proof not- of that. I need proof of that. If you're not tying shoes, I feel like you don't know how. It's not a confidence well, I can thing. tie my kids' shoes. I can yeah. tie my own he shoes. He even taught our daughters how to tie their shoes. So <laughs> the competence is there. Do as I say. Um, but. <laughs> Here's the other thing. The nine-year-old has picked up on the fact that people will comment. Yes. She keeps count. So, <laughs> I didn't know yeah, that. She'll, she'll go, that's four, Dad. That's, you know, we'll be like walking down the street. Lady will come up. Excuse me. Excuse me. Did you know your shoe's untied? All right. And I don't say, yeah, I knew. I'm not rude about it. I yeah. just go, oh, thanks. I say, thank you. And then we continue down the street. But I'll say this. I've been doing this since I was seven, okay? Yeah. I don't tie my shoes, okay? It's a waste of my time. Uh-huh. I got my brain in other places. Yeah. I've never tripped. You, you, you tied it when you played sports, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Like, if I was wearing cleats or basketball shoes, yeah. yes. But if I'm just... Anna, like, the show ends today, and Anna goes... Let's go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I will put on my Adidas sneakers. Yeah. And here's the thing. It may be that they're just untied. Today, I don't know if you noticed, today, Anna, I had them on. 
They were so untied that they had come out of multiple <laughs> eyelets. Oh one of the laces was out of multiple eyelets yeah. and was way longer than any of the others. Yeah. And I left it. Yeah. It's, no, I didn't notice because I know not to it's look anymore. It's still in that predicament. Uh-huh. You know? Oh. That might get fixed. Uh-huh. But I don't know. I don't see the big deal. Like, if that, if I want to do that, you know, S- Stephen wants to wear bell bottoms. I'm not going to be like, excuse me, do you know you have bell bottoms on? I no. am, I'm impressed that you've never tripped or anything. That is impressive. How would you trip? You step out, I, you step out with yeah. the other foot. Yeah, right. and then what? Like, that's just a little stumble. Like, that's not an actual, you're not going to lose your well, footing, maybe are you? some people don't have elite balance like you do. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I have elite balance. Oh, let's not play. Maybe it, maybe <laughs> I should have been a Come surfer, <laughs> and this is the evidence that I yeah. could have been like, you know, Laird Hamilton or maybe, whatever. Maybe you just walk bow-legged, and I haven't noticed. You know, if you walk bow-legged, there's a real advantage if you're walking with your shoes untied. There are a lot of risks. It wouldn't be that crossover. There's a lot of things people should be afraid of in the world, okay? But shoelaces. Untied shoelaces are not the enemy. I'm going to have to look up shoelace deaths this year. <laughs> shoelace. Well, I'll be the. You can replay this clip. If I happen to be walking in a crosswalk one day, oh, no. I stumble and trip, I fall in traffic, and I get run over by a Lamborghini, then all of a sudden you can say, you know what? It was the shoelaces. They finally got them. And there it is, Stephen. There is his daily mention of his death. <laughs> We really need a benchmark for when he daily mentions yeah. his impending death. Because it is a daily occurrence. We need someone to you, sponsor that segment, too. Yeah. Hey, yes, yes. <laughs> It'd be like the Grim a Reaper. A funeral home. Brought to you by. Yeah, really. Um, I don't know so what it is. He's one last thing. There is a situation that is dangerous with shoelaces. It's called riding a bike. <laughs> so I have had the shoelaces wrap themselves around the pedal. Yeah. As you're pedaling, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you realize your foot is like bound to the pedal <laughs> because it's so tight, and you have that's to stop. That's just stupid. You have to stop that's for a second, really, and you have to really undo dumb. it. Yeah, yeah. But I have never tripped. Knocking on wood, as Bruce Barnum <laughs> I, I, might do. I'm, fi- I'm finding this right here. Uh, there's a study conducted by researchers. Not sure what that means, but untied shoelaces are responsible for more than 1,000 cases of loss of footing in children. I guess you're not a child, though. So. Loss of footing. What does that mean? Our children trip all the time, whether yeah. their shoelaces. Lost seven percent. Wait a minute. Do they lose like, a foot? They're walking disasters. Yeah. They, these people lost a foot, or they just lost footing. I think they just lost footing. I, so think, you're, kids, I think you're fine. Yeah, it's just for kids. For kids. It's for some kids. Some kids tripped. Give me a break. <laughs> Someone actually got the money to study that. <laughs> Can you imagine? The shoelace lobbyists. <laughs> you know the company. What was the pitch by the researcher? Hey. Uh, <laughs> Some guy selling shoelaces funded that one. Uh, All right. Yeah. Leave it here. You got the BFT. We're going to play some punch it audio in this segment. Uh, Steven and I will give our final answers in a fun final segment on today's show because we're going to take our picks from earlier, Steven, and we're going to basically ask each other if we're sure and try to talk each other out of our uh, our picks We'll see who wins that uh, as we play it. A little bit of news this week. DeJohn Craig had committed to Oregon State this week. We're working on getting him on the show. I've been in touch with him. Big-time pickup for Wayne Tinkle's team, trying to duplicate the Jordan Pope uh, freshman sensation signing that he had a year ago, taking a early flyer on a player that a lot of people think uh, will be a big-time 
college basketball player into John Craig. So he is joining Oregon State, uh, and Oregon State had a roster spot, so ends up working out for the Beavers. They needed help, by the way, too. They need some. Uh, they needed somebody who could create a shot. They needed somebody who could score. They needed some kind of infusion of athleticism and talent, and DeJohn Craig brings that for Oregon State. All right, we're going to play some Punch It Audio. Here we go. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. 49ers with a big win, 30-12 to on Thursday Night Football. Kyle Shanahan, Niners coach, said he was very happy with Brock Purdy as quarterback. Punch it. Yeah, you know, he missed a couple today, and guys made a couple of real good catches also. Um, man, I thought it was just a huge challenge, one of the biggest ones Brock's been in, just to, you know, the short week to prepare for a scheme like that, um, just how much they do with, you know, they had six guys on the line of scrimmage throughout the game. Um, half the time they're coming, half the time they're not. Uh, there's not a, a comfortable play throughout a game, you know, f- from a play call standpoint and from the quarterback just because, there's a lot of plays that don't work versus that, and so you got to constantly be looking at it. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, which is a huge challenge for a quarterback. And um, I thought he settled down throughout it as the game went, and ended up playing good enough for us to win. Niners are running the ball well. They're playing good defense. They have the look and feel of a team. If they can stay healthy, they could contend for a Super Bowl championship. Their offensive weapons between George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey. And uh, Debo Samuel give uh, hit, give that quarterback Brock Purdy a lot to uh, to utilize. Is there going to be a, a time when the 49ers need Brock Purdy to make a bunch of plays in a big time situation? And are you worried about that? I don't think so because statistically, when you look at him last night, he was very efficient throwing the ball. He had more than 300 yards. He had two touchdowns. I thought that was a pretty big game for him. You know, they don't need him to be that kind of 300 yard passer and. When you've got Christian McCaffrey to toss the ball to out of the backfield and Debo Samuel, who you can throw a five-yard pass to and turn it into a 65-yard touchdown, and George Kittle, who's going to you know, catch an eight- or ten-yard pass and you know, shed two tacklers, I mean, I think it makes that job a little easier for Brock Purdy. And it, They remind me a lot of Oregon State. The 49ers have a little bit of Oregon State in their game. Now, Oregon State doesn't have the George Kittle you know, tight end yet, but they've got a really good group of tight ends. And I think you could argue that, you know, for a college receiving core, you know, between Anthony Gold and a couple of his teammates, you've got some guys that can stretch the defense a little bit. And really great backs in Damian Martinez. And, you know, I just see a lot of similarities. I told Anna last night, I said, gosh, their offense reminds me a lot of Oregon State, what they're trying to do. Don't you see that? And she goes, no. And then she goes, I would never have noticed that in a million years. But that's, you know, I think now when you watch Oregon State play, you tell me, do they look like the Niners a little bit? And is DJ Uyunglele Brock Purdy? Keep an eye on that. Chris Haynes covers the NBA for Yahoo Sports. He says the last discussion that the Blazers had with the Miami Heat about Damian Lillard happened in Summer League. Between the two the teams. last discussion, I spoke with somebody on the Heat side three days ago. The last discussion, they talked during summer league, 
and it was brief. Jeez. And that was summer league when Miami was trying to set up um, some one-on-one time in person. Mm-hmm. That never materialized. That was the last conversation they had. Some one-on-one time with Portland? Yes, or with, with, Portland. Dan- with, okay. with Portland. That lines up with what Adrian Rojner Those talks have intensified this week with Damian Lillard, but still, there's no trade imminent. And listen, we talked about this throughout the summer, that this would pick up once we got past Labor Day and training camp, the opening of training camp, uh, loomed. And that's exactly what's happened. You have Portland trying to, listen, not only talk to teams who have an interest in Lillard, but lots of teams who'd like to get in on a bigger deal. Can they pick up? Uh, a couple draft picks to take on some money. Is there a need that they have uh, that they can get in a three or four team trade? So Portland, uh, they're exhausting all of those uh, conversations this week, and they're certainly behaving like a team that wants to get a deal done, that is trying to get a deal done before training camp. Now, so far, the one uh, element that has not been a part of these talks are the Miami Heat, but we know in trade talks and conversations that can change in one moment with one call. NBA training camps officially open October 3rd. So we're 10 days away from the open of NBA training camps. Blazers still with Damian Lillard on the roster. I think they're going to open camp with Lillard part of the team. Steven, October 3rd comes. It's a Tuesday. Is Lillard on the roster? I changed my thought on this, John. I, I think he's gone. I think he's out of Portland by that time, and um, I think that's the right decision. Portland needs to needs to get him out. I think it can only hurt uh, just you know the the distraction with all the young players on the team. And I think Portland is very motivated to get him out right now. You know, there's a lot of talk of uh, you know mystery teams coming in, um, and there's real interest around the league now. That's not Miami, and so I think for Portland. Either they're going to take these offers and then present them to Miami and say, hey, Miami, can you match this offer? If you can, here's Dame. If not, we're going to take these other deals. And, and I think I think Dame's out in you know the next week or so. Anytime I hear mystery teams, I think about the possibility that the Blazers are inflating the market for Lillard by leaking that they're talking to mystery teams. Keep an eye on this. I, I think they have to trade Lillard. I don't think they have to do it before the start of the season. But I think you have to do it before February. I'm not as allergic as you are to starting some preseason games or even starting the season if the deal's not right. Now, if the deal's right, you make the deal. But I'm not as allergic because I don't think he'll sit out. I think he likes money. I don't think he wants to lose that revenue. Those games are valuable to Damian Lillard. If if what everyone is saying is true, and Portland hasn't talked to Miami since July, which I've heard the same exact things, and I heard that before today. I heard this a couple days ago. What is that good business by the Portland Trailblazers? Just know that that's the one team Dame wants to go to, and then you just said, we're not going to talk to you? Well, I just think it's incumbent upon the Heat to come to the Blazers with the offer. You know what they've offered. You know, I, you know you're know, you at a uh, – you're inside of a store. I don't – you know, I don't put it on the uh, – you know, I'm walking around the store looking at things that I might potentially buy – I don't put it on the store to kind of run around and chase me around and be like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? As I'm going aisle to aisle. So I think, you know, you leave it in the corner of the Miami Heat. If they if they have a better offer, bring it to the Blazers. Dan Lanning, Oregon coach. He was on the Jim Rome show talking about why he likes Bo Nix's game. 
Punch I, I enjoy the fact that Bo comes to my office and we can just talk about the game afterwards like we're two coaches. And you know, sometimes i got to remind myself, hey, this guy's a college quarterback. He's not, he's not one of the coaches, but he has such an innate ability to get us into great plays. You know, he, um, he has autonomy on the field as far as being able to check us into things. Um, you know, he's in really in good rhythm and sync with our offensive coordinator, Will Stein. Um, so I'm just thrilled, you know, to, to get to coach him. He's a phenomenal young man. You know, sometimes he babysits my kids. That's what kind of, that's what kind of guy he is. Look, huge advantage for Oregon to have a guy who's started 50 college games in that environment tomorrow at Autzen Stadium. I do not think the stage will be too big for, for Bo Nix. Will it be too big for Colorado? I don't know. We'll find out. Dan Lanning on this show talked about distractions. How much of a distraction will the hype machine be? Here well, he it's is. only Punch a distraction it. if you let it become a distraction. Um, and I think our guys are really narrowed focused right now on what they have to accomplish. So, no. Um, but that's part of this job. That's part of being a player at this level is learning how to manage um, outside expectations and making you know the reality of that they really don't matter that much. Oregon, Colorado, we can't leave without talking about Colorado's side of the equation. Albert Breer talking about Coach Prime. If he were in the NFL as a coach, would it work? You know, and I do think that there's that element of it where this generation, it's really hard with this generation of player to capture the attention, the imagination of 53 of them at once. And so if you can do that the minute you walk in the door – you're playing from ahead. Now, you still have to make it work, right? You still have to prove to them that you're going to give them a good plan. You still have to prove to them that you're going to give them a plan to win as a group and to get rich individually, right? Like, you still have to do that. But, like, with the ex-players, like, with this generation, it's like if you have name recognition and you can walk in and they know you've done it and they know you've sat in your seat. It's like I, I remember talking to Vrabel about this. Like, Vrabel can walk in that meeting room and it's like every single guy in that meeting room, Rich, He's been that. He's been the guy trying to make the team. He's been the guy running down on kickoffs. He's been the all-pro linebacker. He's been the veteran just trying to hang on at the end. He's been every one of them. So every one of them looks at him and says, he's been me. Look, I'll go further than this. The narrative that Coach Prime can't coach, is it born from the idea that he's hired an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator and said, you coach the offense, you coach the defense, I'll recruit the players and be the CEO? If so, why aren't we saying the same thing about Nick Saban? That's what he does. There are a lot of coaches in college football who who have uh, engineered the program to the head coaching position to become CEO. He's you know, he's out front. He's banging the drum, he's recruiting the players. I don't like I don't think people are t- giving Deion Sanders enough credit for the actual play on the field that he did as a high-level, Hall of Fame-level pro football player on the defensive side of the ball. He knows defense. And by extension of that, he knows some offense. But I I keep hearing people say, well, could he be an NFL coach? Or would he be able to work in Power 5 Conference football? It's working. He's 3-0. I don't think he's going to go 12-0. I got him down for five or six wins this season still. But can we at least acknowledge that like he's not doing anything different than like Dan Lanning's doing at Oregon? But to Albert's point, Mike Vrabel can relate to the guys who just make the team. Dion can't do that because 
he wasn't a guy that just barely made the roster. He wasn't a guy running down on special teams. He was a star as soon as he played in the NFL. Like, does that still work? Because I think at Colorado, that's the kind of that's what he goes by. He you know, he's, he's coach prime. He's out there. He's a star. Does that work in the NFL? I don't know. But I, I'm with you. I think he can coach, and I think he would be successful, but I, I think he's a more successful college coach than an NFL coach. But, I mean, we have a whole line of players who, like, like Andy Reid, really good coach or no? Yeah, really good. Really good coach. Like, so we have – are we trying to say that guys who weren't pro football Hall of Famers as players are more relatable to the average NFL player? I don't know if Andy Reid's relatable. Like, you know, he sure. played community college. You know, he went to Glendale Community College, and then he played at BYU for a couple of years. And I just, I I kind of think, like, a lot gets made of that. Either you are a relatable person or you're not. And I think one of the things that Coach Prime has done as a positive, I think it's undeniable that, it, that he has captured that locker room. And most of those Colorado players are not going to be star NFL players. There's a bunch of guys, like, his, the guy who cut the, game-winning scorer in the last two touchdowns against Colorado State. He's a walk-on. and But Coach Prime has that guy ready to run through a wall? I, I don't know. I, I'm, I've i been as critical of, as anyone when it comes to Colorado football. I think there, there's too much hype. I think they're overrated. I think, um, I think Oregon State would hammer them if they played them today. I think Utah would hammer them. I think UCLA would hammer them. I think Washington State would beat them pretty good. I think um, Washington would embarrass him. I think Oregon's going to embarrass him. I think USC would embarrass him. But that said, I think, look, it was a 1-11 program a year ago. His offensive coordinator, his defensive coordinator can coach. He's a good head coach. I think if you give Colorado some time, they're going to be scary. And I think they'll be a contender in the Big 12, uh, you know, next two, three years from now. Absolutely. But right now, not quite there. And I think if he does does go to the NFL, I don't know if he'll be successful or not. But I think a lot of that has to do with who's the quarterback, what kind of personnel do you have, and there's no transfer portal in the NFL. There's free agency, but everybody can spend the same amount of money. Like, does that put him at an inherent disadvantage in that he'll have some star guys that will say, hey, he can relate to me, I want to go play for him. But he's not going to be able to get all those guys. I think a lot of the success in the NFL has to do with not only can you coach, but what's the makeup of your roster? Do you have a general manager who understands you? And do you have a quarterback? Do you walk through the door and have somebody right away who can be your QB? And if you don't, you're in a bunch of trouble. It doesn't seem like if he does go to the NFL, it's it's him and Shador kind of as a package deal. Yeah, I kind of see that. And I think I, that's why I kind of wonder, you know, is he in this because he wants to be a college football coach? Or is he in this because he wants to coach his kids? And I kind of think my supposition at this point, after three weeks of this season, I think he's in it for his kids. And I think he loves doing it, but he looks a lot to me like a dad who's out there on the sideline really enjoying being around his kids, being a coach, being part of it, making sure that they have a positive experience and – making sure a whole bunch of other kids have a positive experience. And you know what? There's there's nothing wrong with that. And I I, I think they're going to get boat raced tomorrow. But I think there's a place in college football for what Coach Prime is doing, and I think you know, it's making a lot of people think differently. Leave it here. Well, I'll have all your game coverage tomorrow on Saturday. Saturday mailbag. I'll be at the Oregon-Colorado game. We'll have photographers 
at both the Oregon Colorado game and the Oregon State Washington game, Washington State game, and uh, be writing about both games really throughout the weekend. Uh, so make sure you get a subscription at johnconzano.com. This segment is going to be kind of a second thought Friday segment. Stephen and I talked about our picks. I want to try to talk Stephen out of one of his picks. He's going to try to talk me out of one of my picks. I want to start here. I want to start with the idea, Stephen, that uh, you picked Washington State, Oregon State, the same as me, so I won't pick that one. But you have Utah blowing out UCLA. Mm -hmm. Cam Rising comes back, even if he's 100%. What makes you think he'll be at his best? Aren't you concerned he'll be a little rusty? Aren't you aren't you downplaying UCLA a little bit? I am worried about the restiness, John, but what I'm not worried about is Dante Moore first start at Rice Eccles. You know that place is going to be popping. So, yeah, I'm worried about Cam Rising a little bit, but Utah's already beaten two Power 5 teams without a quarterback. So I, it's going to be an upgrade no matter what in my mind. UCLA and the points feels like the pick, even though I liked Kyle Whittingham's team to win the game. You have Which confidence, game, you have confidence yeah. in Dante Moore to go in and score enough points against that Utah defense? I think UCLA is good. I think Utah every year, like, it, to me it really depends. Here's the other thing. How much camerizing will we see? Will he play the whole game? Are they going to put him out there, start to finish, or are they getting him in there, letting him play a little bit, and then they're going to go back to you know, their, their young quarterbacks and, and try to finish the game? I don't know. But I'm... I'm thinking Utah struggles a little bit with UCLA, and I think UCLA is good. I also think this game could end up in overtime. I think they're that evenly matched if they were on a neutral field, but I agree with you, Rice-Eccles is the difference. What game are you talking me out of? I don't know how you can pick Cal against Washington. I know Justin Wilcox is good, but Kalen DeBoer is a better coach. Michael Penix Jr. is the better quarterback. They just went on the road and was up 35 nothing at halftime at Michigan State. Cal had Cal struggled with Idaho. They scored ten points against Auburn. I don't know how this game isn't like forty-five to ten Washington. Well, here's how: I'm looking at history. I'm looking at the way that Cal has played Washington with Justin Wilcox uh, as the D coordinator. I'm looking at the fact too, like let's let's not make too much of what Washington has done this season. Maybe Boise not- State. Eh, By a lot, eh. fifty-six to nineteen. Yeah, I think I I think defensively, if you look at what Cal has done, uh, Cal's second in the Pac-12 against the pass. I think that matters. I still think Cal's going to lose by eight eighteen points. But if you're giving me twenty-one, I'm taking them. All right, the bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.